Hi everybody, welcome to Stratosphere Lounge. I'm your host, Bill Whittle, and uh, today is a uh, special day, different day from the last four or five months, uh, I would say. Let me just fix that light, hang on a second. One of our engineers, uh, one of our team of engineers came in and uh, adjusted that and didn't put it back, so he's sacked. Uh, how is everybody doing anyway? So um, here's, uh, yeah, here's what's different. Um, see, I got in here around four o'clock a.m. and uh, around one thirty, two o'clock, I think I hammered the last word into episode nine of uh, this Empire of Terror series. So for the first time in five months, it's done. And not only did I get uh, episode eight done, I had to get episode nine done as well because I was just there was just too much history so um, it was just great uh, to get that to get that finished and then of course last Friday a week after we uh, recorded last time uh, I come in at night to get this critical writing done which I'm you know on, on the edge of the uh, of the deadline there and I come into the studio ready to go and the internet is down because it uh, rained and that's you know come on like Batman, uh, come on, it's called a Dutch angle. Um, anyway, I was, uh, yeah, I was coming in to get this stuff done, and the next thing I know, um, I am, uh, well, first of all, I got locked out of the building, so it's it was raining, it wasn't raining Florida hard, but it had been raining hard for a long time, and uh, and I, there's a parking garage here with the, you know, under, underground parking, and I did the, uh, did the whole little card thing and nothing happened. And um, not only was it raining hard, it was really cold for California anyway. Plus, plus, um, the, th the whole area was flooded. So uh, that was Friday night. I came around. Thank you. Good to see you too, Monk. Thank you for Super Chat. So I came around um, and I had a, a, the, the entrance to the front door. So I'm carrying all this stuff and I got my jacket over my head. Nobody has an umbrella out here. Nobody, nobody ever needs one. And uh, in front of our building, we've got a street and then we've got a curb, you know, and then we've got a series of, of um, brick steps. And when I came around to go to the, um, to the front of the uh, building, the, the water was, three inches, four inches deep on the curb and was almost at the top of the first step. It was, it was pretty, um, it was pretty wet out there. And then I saw snow in the foothills that I haven't seen since, I almost since I got here in 88. Uh, but anyway, I came in on Friday night, internet is out. And um, when you're on the home stretch, you know, you, all these things that I'm putting in it, finally just getting into place. I'm constantly checking you know, sources and, and so on. So now I have to do that on my phone or link the iPad to the phone. It really slowed things down. And I missed, you know, five days of uploading stuff. So, um, so all of that. And <laughs> while all of this is actually good news, uh, nevertheless, um, there's, there's another thing is a bit of a shock for me. When we started talking about doing this thing after we finished the shoot of the Cold War uh, in October, and we started working on talking about the set for this one. They, um, I said, we're shooting this in L.A., right? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And that the spectrum was down for five days, yes. Absolutely was down for five days because it rained. Um, anyway, uh, two days ago, I get an email saying, um, hey, uh, just thought we'd contact you, Bill, and, and get your travel arrangements worked out. And I didn't have the, uh, the, the courage to tell them that uh, I was unaware of the fact that we were going to shoot this thing in Nashville. So after all of the stress and, stress and pressure, stress and pressure, I got one more uh, little stressful thing to do. I'm not claiming that this is Stalingrad or anything. I'm just saying. So um, on Monday, I fly out to Nashville. Uh, and uh, by the way, Eric, I'm waiting for approval on that. Um, and uh, I um, we're shooting this thing on Tuesday. Shooting it on Tuesday, and um, and uh, I'm I'm excited about it. The set, as I say, is incredible. Uh, they have um, they built uh, two sets for me. Uh, for the first part of the series, the uh, the thing is set in a in a the basement of the Lubyanka. So they've got all of this. You know, it's a it's a freaking dungeon. There's this gigantic sliding steel door, practical door sliding steel door and beyond it is this gigantic led wall so they've got the whole corridor down there and the lights and everything and then um and then uh when we get to the final three episodes we are um we're kind of dealing with the gulag so now i'm now i'm standing out in the middle of nowhere and behind me you can see i mean i've mean, got the taiga and i've got all this you know stuff here behind me is um uh is a, is a gulag and and, and at nighttime because you got four different lightings at nighttime you can searchlights are moving around and stuff it's epic man it's epic so um i am going to be going through another uh, stressful couple days because i've got at least another i've got about one more week of ignoring my core um audience in order to get this thing done but after that for the first time in four or five months I will be free to play around and do some science fiction stuff and all of that happy jazz. So that'll that'll be nice. I haven't I haven't done anything other than write on a computer for three months. That's really been crazy. Uh, now uh, to further uh, wallow in my own uh, crapulence here, uh, I just did a quick calculation uh, just about an hour ago, and. Um, and so what I wanted to do real quick was just to tell you, uh, I got a word count on this thing. So this is the amount of work that I've done uh, in terms of writing. So I'm going to give you guys a sneak peek. This is a special advanced, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes kind of look that most people pay thousands of dollars for. But I'm going to give you the, um, the names of the Originally, there was going to be seven episodes, then I asked for an eighth. And then as I was writing the eighth, I thought, well, maybe they'll let me have a long envelope uh, uh, episode. Maybe they'll let me have a real long one. You know what? I need nine episodes. I, I just have to have it. So nine episodes. So uh, here they are in order. Episode one, Innocent People. Episode two is Bacillus. Episode three is A Ramshackle Revolution. Episode four is The Bloodbath Begins. Episode five is The Weapon of Democracy. Episode six is Red Terror. Episode 7 is Collapse. 
Episode 8 is Walnut, and Episode 9 is Echoes of Murder. And um, I tallied, tallied all of the words in this thing. Now, I need to stress that this is first draft, so I've got a lot of editing to do. But what I have done in the last two, three months is write... Um, 81,025 words. That's what it came to. 81,025 words. That's a lot of writing. That's that's a lot of writing. Uh, but it's done. So now um, all I have to do is is cut it and and you know tighten it up because it's still pretty loose. And just throwing things against the wall. However, however, um, when I get this thing slicked down, it's going to be great. And thank you for the comments. The nice comments about the names. I was looking. I love. I love finding evocative names and titles, you know, uh, and uh, and I don't want them to be overly affected, but I like them to have a little bit of mystery. Here's the thing about the names. Um, the thing I like about the names is that you see the name of the episode and you don't have any idea what this thing's going to be about, you know, and then by the end of the show, you do. So um, Coffee Shinado said a companion book. Possibly, actually, maybe almost likely. Um, uh, Daily Wire has their own publishing thing, so I'm going to talk to them. Nice thing about that is I get to go out there, spend a week with Jeremy. Uh, he'll come in and watch little bits of the shooting. He'll be as impressed as usual. He'll probably just faint. Uh, and then, um, and then uh, I will uh, be done. So how the heck about that? Um there was something else I saw over here before I get going. What was it? Uh, I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, so uh, people keep saying this weird kind of stuff about like the Gorn moving and all that jazz. I have no idea. Quick time out here. Okay. Uh, I'll stop the recording. Um, I'll thank you. Mercy Dark with a $20 super chat. Hey, Bill, I know people have been asking about me. Oh, we have been asking about you. Work was part of it, but it's more because I've been. Uh, not been in a good place. I haven't either. Uh, I'll tell you about it later. That said, I do watch the the VODs and I really like your non-alien aliens. Well, thank you. Uh, and another one. Thank you, Marusha. Again, I also like the dynamics you have going between the Luddites, the cyborgs, and the splicers. Hope you make a strong case for each and like Star Trek and don't give all the advantages to the cis humans. We're not going to use the word cis here, but my God, it's good to see you, Marusha. We were worried about you. A lot of people were worried about you. I'm looking for you. Glad to see you there. Um, what the, do oh, so yes, yeah, so I was going to call a timeout here. Um, I found, uh, everybody who's seen, uh, the Gorn here, uh, really likes it. And so I've got also on these walls, uh, over there, I've got, uh, James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise, uh, with the, um, bamboo cannon. And it occurred to me that I'm looking for, you know, a lot of guys who do, uh, you know, a lot of on-camera commentary, they have really nice sets and stuff. And I thought this would actually be a cool set for me to have like life-size cutouts behind me. And I could just kind of, you know, move them in and move them out. I might actually get some more done. And um, that'd be kind of wild. Right? Buckaroo Bonsai back there or something, or who knows? Uh, actually, that'd be the fun thing to do, right? Would be to um, collect them all. Just have all of these iconic uh, characters. I, this is coming to me as as I'm speaking about it. I hadn't thought about this until just now. But that'd be really great to have a, like a life-size Dave Bowman 
and uh, a life-size buckaroo bonsai and just have them like these guys mounted on cardboard and just move them around. Um, and maybe what we'll do, um, and this will be when I come back, maybe when we, what we'll do is we'll have, um, yeah, you beat me to it. You know, see a member's raffle. We'll have a, we will have a, um, an online vote. Now, uh, the rules of that will be, they have to be, I get final approval on it, right? So, uh, nevertheless, um, I just think that could be really fun. Hey, we have a first time chat from Auntie Ali Bear. Uh, Amazon has an amazing variety of, si of life-size cutouts. They do. I, I don't know if they have um, these. Uh, it'd be great. I'll go check it, um, to be honest with you, uh, Ali Bear, or Auntie, if you like. And um, But these guys, I had, I, I picked them, I did the work, uh, and then I had them printed here on, on heavy-duty cardboard, and then I... Um, and then I just cut them out very carefully. Marusha wants to know, why didn't you use the green screen to put yourself in an actual CG Stratosphere Lounge? Because I think it'd be kind of done. Although, although, generally speaking, the green screens don't look so good, but Doomcock does. By the way, I got a, a nice, nice email from Doomcock a couple days ago. He uh, said, I owe him, uh, you know, a significant amount of uh, either taxes or blood or flesh um, because I've been absent and, you know, he can't run an empire on, on his own. So it looks great for Doomcock. He's absolutely got it down. Um, but sometimes it can look a little cheesy. But, but and I like this look better than CG. However, Marusha, you triggered something in my memory that people who've been here a long time will remember. But I don't think many of you will remember because this goes back to the days of Eject, Eject, Eject. And I was talking about an online community called Ejectia because that was a burst of imagination. And it was basically, so it was like going to be a town up in the mountains and, 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 and it would be, you know, this is like, so it was 2005, right? Um, so it was like... Uh, yeah, this will be the library, and it'll be like a wiki library and all this other stuff. And then there was this gigantic tower, this really advanced tower. And this thing was above the clouds. I did a bunch of rendering tests on it. And um, and the clouds were, were just coming in. Uh, that is kind of cool. That would be kind of cool. Anyway, um, I'll do one or the other. Uh and it'll be fun to talk about this now. Unfortunately, um, the uh, come on, I, I got to stop looking at these uh, member chats, and I'm a little tired. Uh, unfortunately, the um, oh yes, uh, unfortunately, I will be in Nashville all next week, so no Stratosphere Studio or Stratosphere Lounge. But honest to God, when I come back, we will we will kick it back into gear. Um, membership of the last five, six months has just been steadily declining. That's not a surprise. Uh, and I haven't been able to do anything about it because I can't go asking for new members until I got something to show. So when I get back, I'm going to get hot on doing the first or second of those, um, don't be an idiot series. I would like very much to do, I haven't got it, I haven't got it figured out yet. I've got the outline in my head. I still haven't got an angle on it yet. Maybe I'll do it with Zoe. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, I would like to do um, 
an unreal thing, maybe once every two weeks. Uh, you know, like um, I was talking about Last Man on the Moon, right? Be like an astronaut from some secret program, and I just stuck up there, and I'm just looking at the Earth. You know, kind of fun. Uh, but whatever it is, I'd like to do it. And I will be so happy to pick up, you know, Blender and Unreal again and all of this stuff. I haven't touched Unreal or, or any of them for four months now. Uh, but what do you think of Susan Woke Jokey stepping down as CEO of YouTube? I didn't know that she'd step down. And, uh, you know, what? just having spent so much time with Russian... Uh, but the Russian people used to say, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't wish for the death of the czar because the next one may be worse. So I don't know what that's uh, going to come to. If if, it, if if Elon Musk had bought uh, YouTube, I'd be over the frickin' moon. Uh, speaking of which, um, I'm trying to keep this show political, but this is kind of pol politics. Um, uh, Jameson got uh, whacked. They took, they demonetized all four of his channels. And uh, so Odin's men is, you know, essentially just for free now and all the rest of it. Uh, he, he, he went to Rumble and I, and I took a look at him uh, on Rumble. And man, that is that that's a different guy. That guy must have been biting his tongue to be on YouTube because when he's on Rumble, he talks like a like a retired Marine. And it's really refreshing to hear it, you know, un, un, um unfiltered and that's a weird thing too you know because when you're on rumble it, it really is true it's like oh okay i can relax here i'm on rumble that's you know it is what it is i guess uh but i'd love to hear that youtube was a change of direction that would be that would be great um so um when i come back there's i'm gonna just all these things that i've been putting off for so long because i could not do anything other than concentrate on this i read i read I don't know. Instead of we're not talking words now. I bet I read, I bet I read eight, nine, ten thousand pages of research, and um, and I am just so glad to be done with it. Honestly, earlier today and last night too. I wanted to finish it last night, but it was like there is no more room. I cannot put any more words down. That's it. I'm, I cannot. There's nothing. The the script is too fat and too big. There's no room for anything else. And I don't want to start on the thing. Anyway, I got it done. So that's that's a big old relief. Um, oh, uh, for those of you who um, are wondering, uh, we had a relatively epic um, Stratosphere Lounge a week ago. And uh, some things were said. I gave that thought for three or four days. And um, I've decided that um, I'm not going to post it. Uh, and the reason I'm not going to post it is not because of what I said. I'm not going to post it because of how I said it. I was very, very tired. And I was, as usual, in the coming out of a 10-hour day, trying to figure out how to explain people to people what what the death of, you know, 400,000 people means, you know, I'm just, all I'm doing for the last four months is living in this world of death and murder. That's why I picked it. That's what I wanted to show. And I wanted to show it because, because of the, the, the comment I got. I'm just watching the comments and I'm talking about this and we're talking about it was one year anniversary of the Ukraine invasion. And somebody said, uh, yeah, well, America is just as bad as Russia. And that 
got me wound up in a way I don't know if I've ever been wound up quite that much in the stratosphere lounge before, but in any event, uh, yeah, my guy, hey, my guy, uh, thank you. A lot of people are saying I was right. I think I was right. I think I made some good points, but I'm not going to post it. And the reason I'm not going to post it is because it's off-brand. You know, I'm not really ashamed of it, but I don't, I don't, uh, I would like to have handled that better. I was just very, very tired. Um, now, for those of you who um, are interested, it is up there still in the live stream section on, on the page. And I saw about 2,000 views there, but I just decided there's not much I can do about that. I don't want to take it down exactly. But yeah, I was, man, I was, I dropped a bunch of F-bombs and well, a lot of people are you know, getting some good feedback here. I may reconsider. I might reconsider. Um, but I was, well, okay, getting a lot of, a lot of things here. Uh, it was really, it just enraged me, enraged me. And I think that, I think that, well, maybe I will put it up because I'll get a lot of po positive comments here. I, um, and, and I remember in the middle of it, I remember thinking, um, I remember thinking, man, I am like, really much more angry than I want to be. And then right the second I had that thought, I also thought, you should be, man. You should be angry about this. This is something to be angry about. Um, anyway, it was, uh, based on these comments, I will definitely uh, think about, I'll probably put it up, I guess, what the hell. I'll put a warning on there. Uh, but God, that guy pissed me off. The whole, it wasn't even the guy, right? It wasn't the guy. It wasn't the trolls. It was, it was just the entire idea that somebody could say that and, um, and believe it. Um, Matthew Rise in, in the YouTube stream says, oh, what did I miss? Uh, last week we, um, like I said, I was, I was been, been here 18 hour days kind of thing. Um, and, and I'm firing up the Stratosphere Lounge, coming off of, you know, writing about this murder factory called the Soviet Union. And and a guy named Dimitri came in there and just just glanced over and I saw it. I said, well, America's just as bad. It's done as many bad things as Russia has. Really? Yeah. And he says, you know, Afghanistan, Cuba, blah, 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 blah. So I just started taking them apart. And the more, the more I talked about it, the more angry I got. I just had to get it on my system. That's really what it was. Um, I just had, I just had to get it out of my system. Uh, anyway, uh, that's that. So, hey, look at that from Blank Frankie, a $20 super chat. Thank you. Hey, Bill, I haven't seen you so wild since you went off on the Holocaust denier. Yep, that's right. I think that's the only other time I've ever been out of control angry. Uh. A lot of it, you know, looking back on it, I, I, I was kind of ashamed of it because it, it seemed very petulant. So I would just sit there, you know, as I, I'm waiting for your answer. And I thought, that's kind of, you know, a little childish. But the fact of the matter is, there's just about an eight-second delay between me saying something and something and you hearing it. And then, of course, the person has to type the response. I didn't want to get pulled around all over the place. Maybe I'll put it up because I, I, like, I feel like we did some, um, did some, you know, some good work there. So uh, anyway... Uh, so that's that. And I think, I think that's all I got to say, uh, which is kind of shocking. Um, but once again, just to wrap it up, I am, I've got another, 
another absent week here and I've got another stressful trip and all the rest of it. But with that said, when I come back, it'll be done and over for the first time in four or five, six months, maybe. And, um, man, uh, wow. Uh, oh, one last thing, because just because Rafa mentioned it, uh, YouTube. Um, is there any way to see it or something? And what about the reply to Razor Fist's Lost Cause video? I got a lot of work that I have to catch up on, no question. I've got a bunch of stuff in the can that I wasn't able to post because because the internet was out here. Um, but I am really, really, really looking forward to, for the last five months, and especially the last two months, every moment of the day when I wasn't here writing, I kept saying to myself, this deadline is coming. They've rented the studio. You've got, you know, 8,000 words that you have to write in two days. And it, it was crazy. And, and everybody's giving me a lot of, a lot of love here about they're going to stand behind me and stuff. So, um, it'll be, it'll be just fun to go back and, and to, to start doing all the things that I've been wanting to do. I haven't done anything. I, I talked about the you know, the sci-fi stuff and all the rest of it and some new stuff, but just, you know, just fundamental housekeeping things. I want to put up uh, the, the from the vault once a week, you know, um, of the old firewalls and afterburners. I want to put up uh, this series that I did on, um, on uh, We the People 2.0. That was five episodes that were great. They're in the can. Um and I, and I think I'll put up the virtual president stuff in order, you know, just, I'll just release one every week. So I think, I think that would really help. Uh, thanks for the super chat there, Monk. And uh, Cody Fett for a super chat. Did you hear about that American who joined the Ukrainian foreign legion specifically to defect to Russia this week? When asked why he did it, he replied, I'm a communist and anti-fascist. He's going to be, he's going to be in for some, some interesting, um, some interesting uh, life uh, reappraisals. Valerie Drake for ten dollars. Thank you, Valerie. Said you've been a regular part of my life for over a decade. Thought it was time I said hi. What a very sweet thing to say. Thank you, and thank you for the super chat. By the way, um, just because I had I. I kind of heard a, just around the like echo of that story about the guy defecting to Russia. Here's what he's going to experience. He's going to experience exactly precisely what the last person that I was aware of who was a military person defecting to Russia. And that was um, Lee Harvey Oswald. So he's always a bully and a runt and he was always, always loud and always trying to impress people. And, um, and he decided he was going to defect to Russia, and he did. And this is right, like this is the sixty or the end of the fifties, probably. This is like, man, this is like Cold War hot is really hot coming up on the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, Oswald is handing out fair play for uh, Cuba pamphlets in the streets of New Orleans. That's when he came back. So, so here's what happened to Oswald when he defected. He was a um, he was an ex-Marine. Uh, I refer the term former Marine for people that have burned it, deserve it. He was an ex-Marine, and 
and he tried he went to Russia he tried to get asylum there he tried to he tried to to stay basically to defect the Russian the Soviets said we don't have any need for you well I, I used to be a Marine and they said if you were a Marine guard at the US Embassy we'd be very 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 interested in you but you're not so in any event you know thanks for coming enjoy the trip back home so Oswald gets so bummed out and depressed he goes up to his hotel room and slits his wrist in a bathtub. They catch him in time. And then the Soviets are saying, well, does it look better for us to, should we just take him? We're not going to use him. We could just take him. It probably looked bad if he, if, if it ends up, he commits suicide here, you know, they could be spun any numbers away. So they just basically took him. So they took Oswald and they shipped him off to like, you know, Sverdlovsk or some manufacturing city. And he's, he's making television sets and he gets to this village. And he is the, uh, he's the bell of the ball and everybody is flocking around him and everybody wants to talk to him and everybody's so curious about him. And he's just, he's what he always wanted to be. He's the center of attention for about a month and a half. And then he was just another member of the, uh, you know, Sverdlov tractor factory number three. And he got so disillusioned by the fact that he thought he was going to be a superstar and he thought that communist life was going to be much much better so when he actually ended up living there he stayed there long enough to get married and then he um then he defected back to the united states and oswald seriously thought that when the plane landed that there would be mobs of reporters waiting for him. he was genuinely gobsmacked when he got off the plane and didn't see reporters come to cover the uh the return of the famous communist marine traitor kind of thing. So that's what this guy's going to experience. He's going to he's going to be um, it's, well. He says he's a communist and an anti-fascist. That's good. I'm half of that. Uh, I would like to see. Um, I'd like a video diary of that, that experience. That would be kind of kind of fun. Eric said, by the way, State Department said to let Oswald back in. Anyway, it's just, it's just, you know, all right, you're the, you're the flavor of the, of the, of the hour. And now it's like, you know, it's over. So there's that. Um, so, hey, what do you know? We've been so, um, so absent and stuff. Uh, I think we'll just jump into uh, questions. Okay, Eric, um, remind me of that on a week from Monday, if you could remind me. I've taken note that you have something special waiting, and um, and we'll do that. Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, and pay some bills here. So let's jump into the uh, wonderful world of uh, BillWhittle.com, uh, and I'm starting real early for a change. It's only forty minutes or forty-five minutes or something, uh, and. Um, and I do have to edit some shows tonight, and I've been here since 4 a.m. But hopefully we can get a, a bit of a, a, a you know early start on this and cover some ground here, so we'll see. I've been also writing so much lately that, um, you know, just, just 10, 12, 14-hour days here just looking at this thing, trying to figure out what, why the keys are not working. Why aren't they telling the story? I'm, I, I'm, I'm sitting in the chair. Why aren't the keys working? But just, you know, five, six, seven weeks of uninterrupted, you know, 10 hour days here trying to sort out all of this mountain of information uh, has 
uh, made my uh, eyesight, I hope, temporarily a little uh, weak, so I'm going to wear my um, cogitation spectacles here. Stratosphere Lodge questions and more. Hey, there we go. Okay, cool. Coolish. Okay, uh, let's see what we got here. And uh, and I, I, I I'll tell you what I will do. I will promise now, I will do at least two Facebook questions. I don't know how many questions we have here. Boy, they're just novels. These things. Wow. Okay, well, we'll take them as we can here. Um, the uh, just for future, you know, benefit. Uh, the shorter the questions are, the easier they are for me to get through, and the more of them I can take. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and read them. Um, so from uh, Cody Fett. Uh, hey, isn't that date kind of cool? Uh, edit the digression with the YouTube hippies meant that we didn't get to questions on 223.23. Sad, yes. That was last week. Anyway, on with the show. Post your political questions for Bill. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the introduction post. Uh, post. Beg pardon. So here's a question from Cody Fett. Um, Mr. Whittle. Oh, I'm probably in trouble now. There's a lot to talk about of late, but perhaps the biggest moment I'm writing this, 221.22, is the one-year anniversary of the all-out invasion of Ukraine. It's a wide subject, but I'll try to keep it as short as possible. That might be difficult, though, because I want to talk to you about it. It's very personal. It's going to require me to break the 11th Commandment, which 10 years ago seemed unthinkable. To be blunt, I've become disgusted with many Republicans over the last year. Ukraine used to be our issue. We write us a chattering class, spent years advocating for more military support for Ukraine, excoriated Obama for letting Russia take Crimea, hailed Zelensky as a Ukrainian Trump when he was elected, cheered the actual Trump for sending weapons to the Ukrainians, and now that Russia has finally invaded, the zeitgeist of the politically active conservatives in the West is to flip right around and to cry any help to the Ukrainians because what? Because Biden is occupying the White House right now? Have we really stooped so low to say that the U.S. should cower and take a foreign policy loss because the opposite party's in power? Is that why we've been adopting the same stale talking points as the hippies from the 60s and uh, 70s? 60s and 80s, he said. There's, that's about a quarter of the total question, but let me take that and then I'll come and finish it because I don't want to uh, lose the chain of thought. Um, Cody, I, 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 I agree 100%. And one of the things that, uh, after the, the, the big, you know, has he fit on the last stratosphere lounge show and all of this, and I'm watching, you know, Tucker and all these other guys and, you know, and I'm thinking, first of all, I'm thinking, I do what I usually do when I've got a tough issue, right? It's not fun. I don't like doing it, but I, I do it. So I said to myself, all right, Bill, now assume that they're right. What if they're right? Um, these are the guys who are calling for, you know, completely cutting off Ukraine and Ukraine's just Biden's puppet and, you know, and, and most especially uh, uh, Putin. I'll get to him in a minute. 
Um, and I see this, and it's really alarming, which means it's heartbreaking. It's not heartbreaking to me personally, like my feelings are hurt. And I if anybody understands this phenomenon, I would say I'm certainly in the league, league, right? My job is to look at politics on a daily basis and try to make some sense out of it. Um, and when I do that, uh, it's, it's just not fun, you know, to wade into all of this stuff, all this bad news and all of this decline and all the rest of it. But one thing that I've noticed quite a bit lately, uh, certainly since uh, the, the 2020 election and, and to some degree before that, um, we, uh, we have been so beaten up and everything that, that we love is just under such constant assault that we have gotten to the point now where if um, if Joe Biden were to say, um, you know, a bowling ball will fall off, you know, fall to the ground if you if you roll it off a table, we will start arguing that it doesn't, um, and that is a real, real problem. It's a it's a problem that the left has. I'm not accusing the people who who are taking this position of being leftists. On the contrary, on the contrary. But it is something that we have to be constantly vigilant about, and that is finding ourselves having such an emotional reaction to what's happening that we are um, that we are finding ourselves in a position where we're disagreeing with the things we should be agreeing with and agreeing with the things that we shouldn't be disagreeing with. So let me just clarify this for me. Um, this is essentially what I talked about last week, but I'll do it with considerably left uh, less profanity and a little more control, hopefully a little more clarity. Just so we're clear on this, this is my take on the Ukraine war. It's more important to stop Putin's aggression than anything else. I, I'm not saying I'm not saying I don't care if Ukraine is corrupt. I'm saying it's not relevant. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm saying it's not relevant. I don't. If whether Biden has all kinds of deals with um, Zelensky is important, but it's not relevant. It doesn't matter who's in Ukraine. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of that. The one thing I have seen is that, and recently in in human history, is that people like Putin, aggressive aggressive guys with chips on their shoulder and, and a large inferiority complex will keep going until you stop them. And every time you don't stop them, like we didn't in 2008 with Georgia and then we didn't again in 2014 with Ukraine, every time we don't stop them, it doesn't make them less aggressive. It makes them much, much more aggressive. So I don't care what country he's invading. I don't care if he's invading North Korea. Um, so, so there's that. Now, here comes the argument. We don't want to send our taxes to prop up a foreign country, especially one run by a dictator, Cody uh, Neocon extraordinaire. It, that's not relevant, right? It's important, but it's not relevant. We're not talking about sending our guys there. It's not relevant. What's relevant is this will continue until it stops. 
until somebody stops him. And the thing that you learn from history and watching this again and again and again is that the more you wait, the harder it's going to be to do it and the bloodier it's going to be. So I just, I just don't know how, how it just seems crystal clear to me. People are talking about this thing like Ukraine invaded Russia. I don't care what side of, of, of the border is on the other side of the border from Russia. I don't care what sovereign nation it is. It doesn't matter to me. You still have to stop him. Somebody's going to have to stop him. And furthermore, if we don't stop him now, then we'll have to stop him later in Poland or, or, or wherever else. And to say that, well, if he just gets Ukraine, he'll be satisfied. That's exactly what they said about Hitler. It's not... It's not comparing him to Hitler in terms of what he's done. It's comparing him to Hitler in terms of his mindset. And the mindset isn't just an aggressive mindset of grabbing territory that you think belongs to you. Hitler, Hitler felt he had a perfectly legitimate claim on, on Austria and on the Sudetenland. He had a legitimate claim to be in the Rhineland. He could make a case for all of these things. But when the West kept watching it happen, he simply got more and more and more strong and more and more Audacious. Now, Cameron says this is not Nazi Germany in the 30s. I'm not saying it's Nazi Germany in the 30s, Cameron. I'm saying human nature doesn't change. It has never changed. This is not just Hitler. This is what the Romans did. This is how the Romans dealt with the, with the Carthaginians. This is, uh, again, I've heard say, oh, you're calling Putin Hitler. Well, first of all, when you find out the kind of country that he's come from, you would say that's kind of an insult to Hitler. But on top of it, it's just plain irrelevant. It's irrelevant. This is what happens. You will stop them now or stop them later, period. That's what's going to happen. And you don't have to like it because I don't like it either. But that's what's going to happen. You stop them now or stop them later. If we had stopped them in 2008, this wouldn't have been an issue at all. Not at all. So it's not a question of a good choice and a bad choice. It's a question of a horrible, nasty, rotten, shitty choice or a worse choice. And that's it. So those are the, those are the choices. You don't, have to, you don't have to agree with that. That's fine. But you don't have historical evidence to back you up, and I do. So it's not even people say, well, it's history repeating itself. It's, it's not history repeating itself, right? This is where people make a gigantic, they, they, they hit the wrong target. John Redcorn says, name one reason we should stop them later. Okay, John, let's, let's, let's walk it through. So if we, we'll just take it to the extremes just to get to the point about what, what you're saying here. If we don't stop them in Ukraine, then it'll take Poland. If we don't stop them in Poland, then it'll take Germany. If we don't stop in Germany, it'll take France. If we don't stop in France, it'll take England. And this is exactly the thing that I'm talking about. If you don't stop them, they will not stop. And you can wish that weren't true, but it's not. It is true. That's how this works. And every time you let another one of these uh, things fall over, that means that the next time it's going to get worse. But you still have to stop him. Hitler was stopped. I'm not comparing him to Hitler. It is, no, you don't? Okay. Well, if you think that we live in a world where you can just sit behind the oceans here and, uh, and live in Fortress America, that world doesn't exist anymore. So he needs to be stopped. And uh, 
The U.S. has killed millions of people with its wars over the last 50 years for what? I don't think the U.S. has killed millions of people in all of its wars combined. Bill, with respect, we can't change the past, so if Ukraine can't bust Russia on their own, what will stop Putin short of assassination or American military involvement? Hey, guys, here's the thing. I did a lot of work on the um, Korean War and uh, on the Cold War series and a lot of work on the Vietnam War, right? What happened during those wars? Who were we fighting? We were fighting in Korea. We were fighting North Koreans, but we were fighting North Koreans with Russian tanks, Russian airplanes, Russian supply, right? In, in Vietnam, we were fighting the Vietnamese. We weren't fighting Russian uh, soldiers, but the Vietnamese had Russian SAMs. They had, they had Russian Kalashnikovs. They had Russian aviation. They had MiG-21s, right? This is the power struggle in the world. I don't need to get out my heart pills. I'm actually perfectly calm this time. It's not about it's not about anything that seems obvious. Look, it's it's really simple. Let me go back to the point I was trying to make a minute ago. People say that oh, history repeats itself like it's some kind of a magical thing. It's not actually about history repeating itself. It's not even a repeat thing. It's about the nature. It's about human nature producing the same results again and again and again because human behavior doesn't fundamentally change. That's all it's about, right? That's all it's about. Um, and, and that's why it seems to repeat because that never changes. So let's go to the... We, why should we stop them thing? I just spent five months living in the Soviet Union, all throughout the Soviet Union, but I was specifically hovering over the worst, the worst of the Soviet Union. The reason we have to stop them is because collectivists and totalitarians don't care about people. They don't care. It doesn't matter. This is the point I'm trying to make. You know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to read. I'll probably get fired for this. I'm going to read you uh, what I wrote earlier today as the close. Maybe that'll make it a little better. Um, if I can find it. Yep. All right. So don't tell anybody. Uh, a lot of words here. I'm just going to. Uh, all right. I'll just read the second half of it. I'll read the whole thing. <clears throat> It's not a question of, of doing it for people. It's just I'm just doing it because it needs to get said. Uh, let me just cut to the last of it. 
So, yeah, I'll just read the last couple paragraphs. So, why is it that the, that the hammer and sickle is not as despised as the swastika, right? How is it that you can have people wearing hammer and sickle t-shirts and, and hammer and sickle flags and marching on the street when if they were wearing Nazi flags, people would be rightfully disgusted and so on. And what the Soviets did was, by numbers, three times what the Nazis did. So here's here's the close of this thing. Hopefully this will provide some uh, insight to how I feel about this. So why is this blood-red stain on humanity not loathed and despised the way that Nazi Germany is so rightfully loathed and despised? Well, first, there were no pictures taken of this forgotten triple holocaust. No one visits Colima where 800,000 people froze and were worked to death. No one's even heard of Colima. There were no industrial killing centers like Auschwitz, no gas chambers, no chimneys, no acres of barracks, no railroad tracks, and no gates. Just millions of cold-blooded murders in thousands of unmarked, shabby basements. But the real reason, I think, was best summed up by Martin Amos, who wrote, The new left represented, or turned out to represent, revolution as play. The Redeemer class was no longer to be found in the mines and factories. It was to be found in the university libraries and lecture halls. Communism was a theory, and its proponents are theorists. This is the kind of person that doesn't not only need to tell people what to do, they need to feel good about themselves while they're doing it. The most likely attack on this series will be something along these lines. He stated that 200,000 people were executed in Lubyanka when the actual number was only 35,000. That's what communist does to people. It makes you say things like only 35,000. I was asked to do this series because of the actions of Vladimir Putin in 2022. I could have done seven hours on his rise to a power, which would have only given us the how. What I was after was the why. Putin wanted to join the KGB from the time he was a small child, but why? What kind of person wants to be counted alongside men like Nikolai Yezhov and Leventry Beria? That's when I came to the conclusion that, oh, by the way, as a quick aside, for those of you who didn't know it, Lenin lived in a house with, uh, with three servants. It was Lenin, his wife, his sister, and three servants, two secretaries and a cook. When Lenin died, the cook went and lived in Stalin's dacha. He was his personal cook. And he lived with Stalin for 20 years. This guy was the only person to be that close to both of these people for the entire rub of history. And his name was Spiridon Putin. He was Vladimir Putin's grandfather. So this said that's this next sentence will make some sense. Uh, Putin wanted to join the KGB from the time he was a small child. But what kind of person wants to be counted alongside men like Nikolai Yezhov and Leventry Beria? That's when I came to the conclusion that the only way to understand him was to understand Russia as told to him by his grandfather, Spiridon Putin, the cook who lived in the same house as Lenin for five years in the same house as Stalin for about 20. Since I can't tell you what goes on in Putin's head, I thought the next best thing was to show you the horror of what was in front of his eyes, kind of like leading you to the filthy, filthy basement room that a feral child has been locked in for 15 years. There it is. See for yourself. Horrible, isn't it? Imagine if that been you. So I'm going to, that's all I need to read. They're not like us. They're not like us. They won't stop. And, and, 
like it or not, that's the truth. They will not stop unless they're stopped. And we do it now or do it later. And every time we don't do it, it's going to get more expensive. Marisha says, I agree we should stop them. The question is, how do we do it without sparking prolonged hot war or a power vacuum? Saying we should have done X is true, but not actionable going forward. Look, we have the same... Um, we have the same kind of situation that the Soviet Union had in the proxy wars in uh, North Korea and Vietnam. Uh, morally, we're in the right and the communists were wrong, but essentially, from a strategic point of view, it's the same thing. The Soviet Union wanted, do I want to get our children to get drafted into this war? No, uh, Jay Chris. I don't believe anybody's going to be drafted in the United States military ever again. I'm not talking about American troops going over there. I'm not talking about any of this. If you've been paying attention to what I've been saying, you would understand this is what I'm saying we're not going to do. The Soviets supplied the Vietnamese and the Koreans with weapons because they wanted to weaken the United States. That's why they did it. That's why they did it. And the United States went in there because North Korea and Vietnam invaded other sovereign countries that were republics, and they had to be stopped. And if they hadn't been stopped, then it wouldn't have had ended in, in Vietnam, would have gone into Cambodia, would have gone into Laos, Thailand, all the rest of it. That's how it works. So, so that's, that's it. No one that I, I've not heard anyone talk about, I've never heard anyone seriously talk about, sending U.S. troops into Ukraine. And to say that it's going to escalate into that is uh, not proven in recent history anyway. In the Vietnam War, the Korean War lasted about five years, Vietnam War about 11. Both of them are a little shady in terms of the start and end dates. But during those 15 years of us being at war with the Soviet Union, we never really shot at a Russian soldier or pilot during that entire time. Cameron, you don't have to use the caps, man, because if you keep using the caps, you're going you're gonna to start uh, annoying me. It went into Cambodia and Laos anyway. Yes, it did, but it didn't stay there, right? Cambodia became a communist country, but that wasn't because of the U.S. It's all there. So you can look. I can sit here and say, okay, fine, not our fight. Let's just, that's not our fight. Fantastic. Let them go. Just what do we, it has nothing to do with us. Fine, just let them sink. I could take that position, and I could even get on the bandwagon and uh, join the trendy uh, view that, you know, that Vladimir Putin is the savior of Western society, that he's a deeply religious man who's fighting to, to protect the traditional values that the Russians, uh, that the Russians have, you know. Um, so all of that is important but it's not relevant. Let them go? Okay, if we let them go, if we don't help Ukraine with weapons, then the Russians will take Ukraine. They'll take all of it. And they'll build up in Ukraine, and then they'll take Belarus. Then they'll build up in Belarus. When I say take Belarus, they're already aligned with Belarus. They'll just militarize Belarus. Then it'll be Poland's turn. That's why Poland is finally spending so much money. They're going to be the most powerful army in Europe by 2035. The Russians know that too, so they won't wait till 2035. And then 
it will continue until somebody stops it. For, for people like this, for people like Putin and for people like, like Hitler and for people like um, Mao and people like, uh, you know, all of them, right? All of them. It's, 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 what am I trying to say here? I know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. Vindicare says, says they're going to take it anyway. I don't think they are going to take it anyway. I think they're going to keep fighting, but I don't think they're going to take it. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details about this. But when you, and the reason I don't think they're going to take it, by the way, is because of the undeniable fact, regardless of which news feed you want to read, undeniable fact that Vladimir Putin told his troops that they were going into Russian-held Crimea for exercises. When I heard that, I said, I don't believe I'm aware of any other time in history. I could not think of a single example where the person doing the invading lied about the invasion. It's going to be tough to find people who are, who are, more, who are less worried about their, their soldiers' lives than Xerxes, let's say, or Attila. But they didn't lie about that. They, they said, we're going. So here's what I'm trying to say. We can have all kinds of labels for all kinds of things. And it just doesn't make sense. People say that uh, conservatives are on the right wing. And they also say that the Nazis are on the right wing, therefore conservatives are Nazis. It's just, it's just an absurd comparison. The, the, when, the, when the communists would say the, the, the Nazis are on the right, communists are on the left, they're talking about the center aisle of European politics. We had nothing to do with that. In World War II, the communists were a totalitarian megastate that disarmed its citizens on the left. On the right was a totalitarian megastate that disarmed its citizens. Coke and Pepsi, that's all it was. So the only two terms I've ever found that, that I found to be consistent is individualists and collectivists. That's how I put it in the beginning of the Cold War series, and I'm sticking by that. And, and the collectivists are not... the source of the conflict. And the reason I say that is because human history has been nothing but autocracy and kings and empires and rulers chucking 10,000 men or 100,000 men or a million men into a thing for your own personal aggrandizement. Collectivists believe that the state is more important than the individual. And that is what leads to intentionally starving your own people. During the, the, during the, um, the famine, the, the first famine that, uh, that Lenin started, he sent his Cheka out into the countryside to, to forceful, forcibly requisition food from, uh, from the uh, peasant farmers. 
and he killed a lot of them and terrorized a lot of them. And he took the food, and his country was starving. There was cannibalism starving. People eating their children starving. And Vladimir Putin, I'm sorry, Vladimir Lenin took that grain and sold it on the international market because it was good for hard currency. The Russian ruble was worthless. Sold it on the hard market, on the international market. Sold the grain. His people are starving. He took their food and sold it so that he could have hard cash to put into the Communist International Comintern so that he could start all kinds of revolutions everywhere. Um, I'm going to have to address this right now because it's, it's, it's just so to the point. Cameron says, if we were talking about the Soviet Union, I'd believe you have a case, but we're talking about Russia. No, we're not, Cameron. No, we're not. We're not talking about Russia. We're talking about the Soviet Union. Vladimir Lenin, I'm sorry, Vladimir Putin was born in Leningrad. Vladimir Putin sat on his grandfather's knee for 15 years and heard about how the Soviet Union went from nothing to a world superpower. And he wanted to sign up for the secret police. These are the people that murdered 800,000 people in one year, shot them in the back of the head. This is my entire point. The Soviets didn't come in on spaceships, you know. The Soviet Union was a result of the Russian national character. And it was the inevitable outcome of it because Lenin created a society not only where Stalin was possible, but where he was inevitable. That system has to be fought because it is antithetical to our way of life. It is antithetical to it. And, and that's the reality of it. We're the ones that have been dropped in from a flying saucer. There's never been individual freedom before. There's never been private property before. You didn't own anything when you were, when you were a, a serf or, or, a, or a, a peasant. Just leave Russia alone, man. Come on. Uh, here's the thing, Jay. We did leave Russia alone. We left Russia alone. We left North Korea alone. We left North Vietnam alone. We left all of them alone. We left Russia alone in, in 1956. We left Russia alone in 1968. We've always let Russia alone. It's Russia that doesn't leave us alone. Can you not understand that? That's the problem. That's the problem. And, and I'm not going to get into this again. I'm not going to waste the whole episode. I really not. If you can't see it, then there's nothing I can do for you, right? Nothing. But uh, Dave Big Booty's got it exactly. Putin said the dissolution of the USSR was the greatest political calamity of the 20th century. Truth is the, is the formation of the USSR was the calamity. He is proud to be a Czechist. The Cheka murdered, and its descendants, the GPU and the NKVD and the KGB, he wanted to be that. Casual Cthulhu says Russia isn't attacking us. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. What has Russia done to the U.S.? Russian weapons killed 49,000 Americans in North Korea and what was it, 58,000 in uh, Vietnam? That's what the Russians have done to us. That's what they've done. You want to know that's what they've done. They've killed... 100 million people around the world, 20 million of their own people just during the Soviet Union, minimum, right? So what have they done? That's what they've done. That's not what they've done to us. That's what they've done to the entire world, okay? I'm lost, am I? 
Vindicare says, uh, you're lost, am I? No, they aren't. You lost, Bill. Make your case. All right, let's just go where we were last time. Make your case, Vindicare. I'm, I'm ready to hear it. I'll just stay calmer this time because I know what to expect now. They are not Soviet Russia. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. They are. Vladimir Putin is a Czechist. Vladimir Putin's stated objective is to bring back the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, it wasn't replaced with anything. It was replaced with a, 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 a kleptocracy. See, this is the kind of thing I cannot understand. Vindicare says NATO has agreed not to move any, an inch further. So they don't. So Russia invades Ukraine, and now Ukraine wants to join NATO, and now Sweden and Finland, you know, those warmongering nations, they want to join too. Is that because we attacked uh, Russia, or is it because Russia attacked somebody else? Honest to God, man, the whole issue is very simple. You stand on a border between two countries and ask which way the tanks are going. And that's the answer, period. That's it, period. That's all. So whoever's doing the, whoever's doing the invading is somebody you're going to have to watch. And if, they, and if they're serious about it, then there's somebody you're going to have to stop. And if you don't stop them, that's fine. You're gone. Lots of great societies have disappeared over the face of the earth. Lots of, lots of enlightened societies like Athens, let's say, I just decided... Do I think that's why they invaded? Yes. Why do you think they invaded? They invaded this invasion of Ukraine, a 2022 invasion of Ukraine, is because he invaded Georgia and we didn't do anything. And then he invaded Ukraine and took the Crimea, which was legally Ukraine's, and we didn't do anything. And after the debacle in Afghanistan, he looked at us, he said, they're not going to do anything this time either. Well, he miscalculated. Oh, for the love of God, I honestly, it's like arguing with a, with a it's like arguing with a, um, like a, 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 I don't know what to describe. It's like being inside the trash compactor in Star Wars. Not our problem. I'm not going to waste any more time with you. Yes, it is our problem. If you don't see it, that's fine. I'm not going to waste any more time with you. Uh, I'm going to finish this uh, question from um, Cody. And you can be wrong on your own. And if you get your way, then I hope you enjoy your new Soviet overlords. Uh, because they're acting like the Soviets, because that's what they are. Anyway, back to Cody Fett. Uh, Biden's visit to Ukraine earlier in the week is a perfect example of this. Conservatives who talk about politics are talking. You know what? I, I think I'm done with Ukraine for the day. I think I pretty much got that done. Okay. <laughs> Vindicare says it's like arguing with someone who knows more than, than me. If, if you know more than me, 
then why is it that I've done nothing but provide concrete historical event, uh, examples and all you've done is say, yes, they are. No, they're not. Are two are not. Are two are not. I've got evidence, man. If you're so bloody brilliant, why don't you put the evidence down that will um, win, you know, win the case? I don't understand. I really don't. Yep, I'm sorry. I'm I'm pretty much done with that. Hang on. One second. It's hard for me to, hard for me, there it is. Sorry about this, one moment. There we go, that was easy. Okay, I'm not going to waste any more time arguing with people who um, have a YouTube page with zero followers. It's just trolling, and I don't need the distraction, so have a nice day. Go be wrong someplace else. Uh, in any event, uh, let's get back to some more questions on BillWhittle.com. Uh, honestly, this is a different question, but I'm at the, about the limits of my... Uh, crisis uh, processing ability, but here we go. Joe Roth, this question isn't for the faint of heart. Okay. Hello, Bill. Uh, so when are people going to finally rise up against this tyranny and finally utilize the Second Amendment? Isn't this exactly what the Second Amendment is for? Are we really supposed to just sit and wait until we start being thrown into concentration camps or gulags? Shouldn't we use armed rebellion as a preventative measure against looming tyranny or genocide? So why are we waiting? Why are we all waiting for things to get worse? It doesn't seem like even the most fervent supporters of the Second Amendment are willing to take the initiative and seriously organize nationwide and rise up against this tyranny. Seems like everyone, myself included, is all talk and just waiting for someone else to take the first shot. Are we all just too weak and wimpy at this point, or are we just way too tolerant and good-natured for our own good? When would it be appropriate for the Second Amendment to seriously kick in and become a preventative measure rather than a reactionary one? Doesn't seem like our heavily armed population is deterring a lot of this craziness. Maybe it's just time to actually use it and send a loud and clear message. The media is going to smear us anyway, so why not just raise holy hell and scare the shit out of the left third of the country and maybe they'll finally leave us alone. Our founding fathers went to war and waged armed rebellion for much less than what we're dealing with now. The first shot's were fired in Lexington and Concord because the British sought to disarm us. Maybe shots need to be fired again. Or maybe just bring back the guillotine and park it outside the Capitol building and execute traitors. Yes, more, but I know, but I don't think I'm the only one who feels pushed to the limit. So again, when should the Second Amendment kick in? Preventative measure or self-defense when terror is already there? What do you think? 
Sorry for the morbid nature of this question, but the Second Amendment seems like car insurance. You're at risk if you don't have it, but you get penalized if you have it and don't need it. And P.S. to my fellow Stratosphere Laundress, I'd love to make some new friends and contacts, talk guns, life, and maybe if... And maybe... If in my area of Hudson Valley, New York, go shooting or hang out, it's important that we all start to communicate outside the forum. And he lists his email. And this is one of the reasons why members uh, really do like it, because the uh, the um, the interaction in the forum is really tremendous. And, and, and the members posting their own uh, content is, is tremendous. So this is a serious question. Um, and the answer is is very difficult to it's not only difficult to answer it's difficult to really get get a, a finger on what the nub of the issue is the 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 heart of the question is let's see if, if see if I can reduce this the heart of the question Uh, Joe, is at what point do we provide a violent reaction to a nonviolent prompt? We're not going to go down this road of, we're going to call violence what violence is, right? Violence isn't saying mean things. Violence isn't taking over institutions. Violence is violence. We know what violence is. So the reason that all of this seems so difficult to understand, especially compared to the revolution and all the rest of it was, those people opened fire and and these people haven't. And so it's really, to me, just that simple. Now, a, a bunch, bunch of things need to be said about this. First of all, um, you say that the Second Amendment doesn't seem to be deterring them. I disagree. I'm not saying they're not encroaching on everything. I'm not saying that they're not trying to destroy everything. But when you say that the, that the Second Amendment doesn't deter anything, it's, it's deterring things right now, right? It's deterring things right now. It's been deterring things for when did, since the Frankfurt School in 1922. Since the progressive era, right, the turn of the last century, they've been trying to destroy the United States and turn us from individualists into collectivists for a hundred years. And during that time, the Second Amendment has protected us. What I mean by that, Joe, is that you can look around and say, "Well, look, you know, it hasn't protected us." Well, we'd probably be in camps by now if it weren't for the Second Amendment. The fact that they haven't opened fire on us is the result of the Second Amendment. That's why we have the guns. It, it is, it is the ownership of the. I've talked about this before, and I think it's really important. People, at least, I'm not saying I'm right. I just think it's something I think we need to think about. Here's here's my meta argument to this. Okay. Totalitarians are everywhere, and they've always been everywhere. They're always going to want to tell other people what to do. They're always going to want to take their stuff. That's all of human history that way, and we in the United States are the exception. The people that want to take over this country realized that there are more guns in this country than there are people. And that took violent action against the American people off the table for them. Right? 
They're not stupid. They're just evil. That took that took the the Soviet Nazi communist Chinese simple method of sending out the police and rounding up the, the troublemakers and putting them in tab, camps or putting them up against the wall. The fact that we own guns is what has taken that off the table and it's going to stay off the table. Okay, it's going to stay off the table because they're never going to come at us with guns because we have more guns than they do. They're never going to do it because if they did, Joe, that would be when people wouldn't start shooting. They start shooting back. It's an entirely different thing. What they will do is what they're doing now. We're, we're like Singapore. When the, I use this example many times, and it should be said as many times as I can. In World War II, the British had an island fortress in the island of Singapore, and they were prepared for the Japanese Navy. They had these enormous guns and this enormous um, fortifications facing out to sea for when the Japanese Navy sailed up, then they could blow them out of the water with their big guns. Well, the Japanese knew that, and so they elected not to go under the guns and... They put their soldiers on bicycles and they came in through the jungle and took Singapore from behind without much of a shot, right? We are looking in the wrong direction. The, the threat's not coming to us from, from that, right? The, the threat's not coming from the ocean. The threat's not coming from them with guns because they know that they'll lose that fight. They're coming at us from the jungle. They're coming at us from behind. So... They don't have to come and collect our guns by kicking in doors and shooting people. What they have to do is convince our children that guns are obsolete, dangerous, cause of all the grief in the, in the country, convince them that it is the gun that does the killing and not the person. And so rather than losing a war where they come shooting at us, they're going to win a war because those kids are going to turn your guns in for you. Once you die even, let's say. Once you're gone, you got a gun collection, they'll take it to the state and they'll get a cookie and they'll feel like they're doing the right thing. So, oh, this is such a good question. Mike says, uh, can you please explain how you feel this justifies regular citizens owning weapons of war and the constant death and tragedy they cause via school shootings? Thanks. Uh, I don't know which one to take first. Uh, let's take the school shootings aspect, okay? The theory behind gun control is this. We're going to make guns illegal, and that will solve the violence problem. If that were to happen, the only people that would turn in their guns are law-abiding people. If you are set to go and, and mass murder individuals, then the fact that you have uh, violated a law about gun ownership isn't going to affect you in, in the least. That's like saying a guy who goes to shoot up a, a school and then you find out is prepared to die. He's, it's a suicide mission, suicide by cop on, on, on international TV. It's like saying this guy's going to be deterred because it's a no parking zone, right? Well, it's against the law to park here, I guess, and no other, no other place to park. He doesn't care. Right? He doesn't care. None of them care. It's not a quite. It's not the guns, man. It's the. It's the. It's the murderer. 
And while murderers use tools like that, it is, let, let me rephrase it. The problem is not the guns, okay? And the reason you can say the problem is not the guns because of crystal clear, overwhelming evidence. In the 50s and 60s, anybody could walk into a Sears Roebuck and buy as many guns as they wanted to and walk out with them. And there were no mass shootings. The more they try to keep guns away from people, the more mass shootings we get. The problem is not the guns. The problem is the destruction of the family. The problem is the lack of fathers in the house. The problem is the lack of, of, of people talking to their children and getting them on straightened out before they turn into mass murderers. When the, when the guy shot up Columbine, the parents, I remember one of the fathers saying, we had no idea. We had no idea. Okay. But if you're kid is in the uh, if your kid is in the basement building bombs and, and stacking ammunition and you don't know about it then you've got yourself to blame for this right? That's inconceivable when people were living in, in nuclear families inconceivable that a kid could get that sick because when you started seeing signs of them getting sick you'd do something about it This is, this is a, a case of, of, I'll tell you what it's a case of. People, here, here, here's where I'm trying to go with this thing. People look at hunting videos, let's say, and they see a person, I'm not talking about the guns here, I'm talking about something different. People look at hunting videos and they see a man with a rifle shoot a beautiful, perfect deer, right? And many people see this and they go, that's, that's appalling. That's the knee-jerk reaction for people who don't hunt and who love animals, right? You see this beautiful buck, next thing you know, now it's lying there on the ground, the guy's holding it by the, by the antlers, right? And people look at that and they go, that's just horrible. That's awful. What a, what a cruel thing to do. What they don't see is what happens to the deer if he's not shot. Because they see the, the person pull the trigger and the deer go down, they think, my God, you've, 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 you've cruelly killed that animal. But when that animal dies, it's not going to go out like a gunshot. It's going to be eaten alive. It's going to be looking down at its intestines while a wolf or something else is pulling them out of their body and chowing down on it. This is what I mean by the thing that is unseen, right? It's unseen. You only see, you only see one side of the argument. You see the negative side of somebody shooting a deer. If you, let's assume you're not a hunter and you, and you love animals. You see a deer get shot and you go, that's horrible. We should leave the deer alone. And the and the and the, the follow-up thought to that is if he hadn't shot the deer, then the deer would die of old age lying down in a comfortable field of clover surrounded by his relatives. It doesn't happen that way. Right? He will be eaten alive or starved to death if he's not shot. 
that's that's the way it's going to go. Now, I'm not saying that that necessarily justifies the shot, although I think it does. What I'm saying is you are you are looking at one side of the equation and not looking at the other side of the equation because the other side of the equation is not in front of you. There's thousands of people. People, have, I, I, I'm not aware of a single person who has not seen several. I'm not talking people go looking for hunting videos. I have. I cannot imagine a grown you, grown person in this country who has never seen video of an animal being hunted and shot. Right? Unimaginable. But I'll bet you the percentage of the people who've seen videos of of watching, um, like a, I don't know, a baby piglet being eaten alive by a wolf. I bet the number of people that have seen that is 5% maybe, less. So the same thing with the guns, right? You see these horrible catastrophes. You think it's because of the guns. It's not because of the guns. Because, And there's evidence for this. Because the more we restrict the guns... The more of these things we get, the, when guns were available to everybody, there were no mass shootings. Now, I'm not saying that that is a direct correlation. I'm not saying that the ability to buy guns freely means that you don't have mass shootings. What I'm saying is, is that when you could buy guns at Sears, you want 10 of them, 20 of them, all the ammunition you can carry. You walk into Sears and you do it. No ID, no background checks, nothing. When you lived in that society... You also had nuclear families with mom and dad in the house and everybody sitting down for dinner. That's what changed. That's what changed. When, when the social welfare programs made it possible for women to leave families, and the second I say that, people automatically go, what about guys who beat their wives? Yeah, we're not talking about that. When there was an option to leave and they left, that was the first generation. Second generation was used to not having any fathers in the house. The third generation is seven fathers for seven different kids. So it is, it is not the guns that are the problem. It's the, it's, the, it's the shooters. And the reason there are more of them now than there were... Look, if, there hadn't, if you wanted to be a mass shooter in the 50s, you could... It'd be just as easy, much easier than it is now. By the way, it's an interesting little fact. First mass shooter, I've forgotten his name. I always get it mixed up with the Chapman or, or, or the guy who shot Lennon. But in any event, the first mass shooting in the modern era was, was at the University of Texas where a, 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 an ex-Marine climbed to the top with a bunch of rifles, and he was a really good shot. And, um, and he sat up there, Whitman, thank you, and he started picking off students there, right? And he killed a bunch of them, I think it was seven, 17, something like that, right? He was just playing, Charles Whitman, just playing knocking them down. Bam, 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 they're going down. The killing stopped, not when the police arrived. The killing stopped, now sit down and, and, and buckle in, kids, because this is a historical fact. The killing stopped because a number of college professors ran out to their cars, opened their trunks, removed the hunting rifles that they had in their cars, and then they started shooting back. And if you look at the video, you'll see that once, once people started shooting back, he simply couldn't put his head up. You're seeing all these little, these little pups of, of, of plaster. He was, it was suppressing fire. 
suppressing fire. He didn't, he didn't get a single person after people started shooting back. And, and over the course of, I don't know, it was a half an hour or whatever, the police managed to break in and come up the stairway behind him and shoot him from behind, which is, you know, that's that. But that's, that guy had a brain tumor, a massive brain tumor. But we lived in a society where college professors had rifles in the trunks of their cars. I'm not saying that the rifles magically kept shooters away. I'm saying that a world where guns weren't taboo, when every kid played with toy guns, when you, when you understood that a gun was dangerous, when you had a dad telling you from the time you can remember things like, if you ever point a gun at somebody, Bill, you better shoot them on the spot. Because if you point a gun at somebody and you don't shoot them, you're going to be in, you're going to be in big trouble. But that doesn't make any sense, dad. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Right. That is what is missing today. That's what's missing. Is that is that father sitting there and saying things like that, you know? And if his kid starts to turn into the kind of kid that if you leave him alone, will sit in the basement and build bombs, then in those days, listen, most people think that the number one correlator that violent criminals have in common is fatherless homes. That's almost correct. That is a large, large positive, definite, not a, a causality. People who don't have fathers, most of the people that do these shootings, in fact, I, I think all of them, either don't have fathers or have fathers that have checked out like the dad's the Columbine. I can't believe it. I was so shocked that my son built bombs. Okay. What, what correlates even better to, to violent crime, like shooting, mass shootings, is... A causality and the causality is the number one way to not become a violent criminal statistically is to sit down and have dinner with the family every day that's a refinement of the father in the house thing but that's practically almost almost one-to-one -one universal and it makes sense it doesn't say that they were better people, that the, that, the, that the family somehow magically granted humans a reprieve from being nuts. That's not what it's saying at all. What it, the reason that correlation is, is in fact a causality is, as I said, if the kid starts going off the rails, you don't have to wait till you see him on the news on every channel in the world, right? you will see it when he starts getting introverted or when he starts playing around, you know, with or, or fascinated with dead animals, whatever the case may be. He's going to notice it because dad talks to him every day. And by the way, when dad talks to you every day and mom talks to you every way, you're not so inclined to go off and be the kind of loner these murderers are. This is like the incel movement, right? I see these incel guys. For those of you not familiar with the term, it refers to involuntarily celibate. Right? This is a group of young men. This is not men going their own way. Men going their own way is guys who are just perfectly good with women, and they just said, we don't need the trouble. We'll just, we'll just hit them up on Tuesday morning, you know, at 2 in the morning on Tinder, and then we don't have to deal with all this you know, bull crap that they give us. Incels are filled with rage. And when one of these incels murdered a bunch of kids in Santa Barbara uh, College, 
he was cheered by hundreds if not thousands of these other men who cannot talk to women, don't know how to talk to women, have been utterly ignored by women, and therefore are absolutely furious at women and determined to get their revenge, right? And, and the reason that, that that happens is because nobody taught this kid how to not be creepy. And if you're married, in other words, if you've got a dad, then dad is at least not creepy enough to have gotten married to somebody, right? And so these things just fester and they get worse and worse and worse. And then this kind of thing breaks out. And, and by the way, to put it in perspective, right, there are 330 million people in this country and there are guns anywhere. I don't know what the number of mass shootings is a year. It continues to increase. But in terms of statistically, of the population, if you were manufacturing a product and you made 300 million units in one year, and out of that 300 million, you had a failure rate of 40, nobody has that kind of manufacturing perfection, right? So that's just some perspective on the thing. But again, I come back to the deer. You simply are seeing one outcome and you're not seeing what would have happened if that wasn't there. <clears throat> Losing my voice pretty fast here. It is higher than Six Sigma, yes. Six Sigma, six standard deviations. It's a measure of, of on the bell curve, it's a measure of how far away from the mean you are. Very, very, very good or very, very, very bad. Six, each Sigma is a standard deviation, six of them means you are where the bell curve is so thin that it's almost impossible to get there. And that's what manufacturing aims for, six sigma. They want to have a failure rate of one in, I don't know what the number is, somebody will tell me. And if they achieve that, they get a special certification. But our population, if you look at, if you look at American citizens as units, we are far better than that. So it doesn't make it okay, and it doesn't make it any less painful, but it does put it into some kind of perspective, right? So, uh, 3.4 million, what's that number? Is that is that what Six Sigma would be for the U.S., 3.4 million? I don't know what the number is, I just saw it. Okay, I'm going to go on here, because uh, I said I would go to um, Facebook. And got a my God, I got a bunch of questions in my throat. My voice is starting to go. Okay. GK Masterson. Well, we'll always deal with her. She's fantastic as always. She's done so much for our website, and we're very, very grateful for that. Don Vickery has closed the previous argument perfectly. Don Vickery in YouTube said, We live in a fallen world. Yes. We didn't do the maintenance, and so now the machine's falling apart. If you don't do the maintenance, the machine will fall apart. And we didn't do the maintenance. Now we have to rebuild the car rather than maintain the car. That's a lot more work. Okay, GK Masterson. Hey, Bill, any thoughts on Ohio? Thanks, GK. Yeah, it's a fantastic state. And uh... Zachary says, Bill, you aren't seriously saying that there aren't serious criminals out there who did have very good relationships with their dads, right? I, I'm not sure if I completely understood that, but are you, are you asking me if I'm saying 
that every single violent criminal was fatherless? I suppose they're not, but it is, it's a, it's 98% of a prison population, violent criminals in prison, broken homes, something like that, right? So I'm not saying all of them, but there you go. Blake Jamison asked a really good question. What maintenance have we not done? We've not done the hard work of sitting down and talking to our kids. We just, it's just inconvenient to us now. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm not going to get to this other stuff because it's an interesting topic. Um, uh, Steve Wap in, in, in Twitch has got, has got, he's got it exactly right, although liberals hearing this, collectivists hearing this rather, will immediately leap on him. He said, uh, it's because dads need to whip butts. Yes. And again, don't mistake the symptoms for the cause. Dad spanking a kid is not what makes the difference. What makes the difference is that the father cares enough to spank the kid, that the father is present in the house, and that the father is aware enough of the fact that this kid has been told several times, and now that he keeps doing it, we're going to have to up the response level, and we'll see how physical pain works, right? That is discipline. And I don't want to hear about fathers beating their kids with, with, with belts and all the rest of this stuff, because those are the outliers. And anytime you've got no argument, you argue the extremes, right? You always argue the, the, um, the exceptions. But basically, that's what it is. There is no, there is no, here. Blake uh, Jameson says, Bill, how do we talk to our children when we don't get to see them? Divorce courts, family courts break our society. Spankings are not necessary. I think spankings are necessary, but to the larger point, uh, Eighty percent of divorces in America now are are instigated by the women, and among college-educated women, it's ninety percent. Nine out of ten divorces of people with a college education in this country are the woman leaving the man because they can, and the father doesn't get to leave. So let me just dive into this because it's part of the it's part of the sickness and addresses this question. Okay, let's say you're married and you have two kids. The way society is now, the mother can leave with the kids. She'll get state support and she'll get alimony. The father doesn't get to leave. He can leave the family, but he doesn't get to leave his obligations. He's going to have to pay for those kids and the wife for the next 10, 15 years. He doesn't get to go. That's why most marriages end with the women leaving, because it's easier for them to go, paradoxically enough. So with that said, the reason that, uh, that, that, the, that the family is so powerful, think of, think of it this way. Think about the, you, you, we got a really smart crowd here. We know enough about chemistry to know that certain, that certain molecules attach to each other with a great deal of strength that it requires an awful lot of chemical energy to split them apart, right? That's what a molecule is. 
almost that's that's what a molecule is the reason that 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 we didn't have mass shootings when we had nuclear families is because the family one mom one dad is an extraordinarily tight bond and the reason it's such a tight bond aside from the the, the attraction between the, the man and the woman the reason it's such a tight bond is because the reason families work is because if you have a mom and a dad you get to have good cops and bad cops and nobody has any problem with those roles if you're a conservative you're a child right you're four five year six year old child and you're going through life and you do some things well good i mean you do good things and you also do bad things and you start doing bad things until people spank you or you stop doing bad things then right the the reason that that the that the nuclear family is so strong and produce such good people because it's pretty new invention really prior to that you know the most powerful guy had 35 wives and and owned all of them and and the 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 beta males just had to you know pound sand let's just say for the sake of the euphemism so the reason that this that this nuclear family is so powerful is because of the that good cop bad cop relationship that means that a child boy or girl doesn't really matter that means that the child lives in a world where one force comes into the world and is the disciplining force this is the unemotional force this is the consequences force you did this you knew you weren't supposed to therefore this is going to happen that's what dad does right that's what dad does mom is there to make sure that you know why dad spanked you right mom is there to go up to the room while you're crying and tell you why your father did what he did and how much he didn't want to do it but why he did it right so the classic example classic example is a child will do something wrong the father will send him up to bed without dinner he'll go up to bed without dinner and then mom will bring up a cookie or two right that's how it works um mike says uh, wouldn't more use of physical violence to discipline children just lead to more traumatized kids and more school shootings i believe this method is quite common in these shooters upbringings i don't think it is common uh mike i think that there are no people doing any spanking in these families there's just single moms trying to cope with ever more rebellious kids the the spanking business look when people argue against spanking right what they're saying is is that there's an alternative right no but i don't think any sane person can say that children don't need to know the difference between right and wrong right they have to know the difference between right and wrong and they have to know it in a way so that they know which one of these two behaviors is the one that people are looking for and when people talk about we should not have spanking i was never spanked when i was old enough to know essentially what a spanking really was what i'm saying is you cannot reason with a 3 year old you can't sit down and discuss with a 3 year old the consequences of breaking into the cookie jar how it will eventually lead to obesity and tooth decay and that that will make his life 
less healthy and he'll die earlier and that means he's going to have to take out more life insurance and, and you, they're not capable of that right what spanking is is something that they understand it's a very simple 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 thing the reason it's spanking rather than hitting is rather than punching is because if you open hand slap somebody on the butt you cannot hurt them right you can't now again we're talking about reasonable use of spanking which was common throughout this whole society when you say that there's no reason to spank a kid what you're essentially saying is the the period where they need the most discipline the, the period when they really are learning everything two to two to four five six seven in there during that period you're saying that that we're going to discipline and deter this kid with reason or anything else that doesn't hurt because we they, they can't process it Rob Ross says I was spanked once I'm pretty sure I was spanked three times you know why I was only spanked two or three times I'll tell you why I was only spanked two or three times the reason I was only spanked two or three times my dad would discipline us frequently and the reason I was only spanked two or three times was because once that had happened once or twice then I didn't have to get spanked the third time right once I'd had it once or twice I wasn't traumatized I was angry, I was upset, and I was hurting, and I figured out I'm not going to do that anymore. Where was I? Um, uh, I just flew right out of my head. Anyway, it's, oh, I remember. <clears throat> I said I only got spanked two or three times, right? That's true. But my father didn't discipline me only two or three times. My dad spanked me two or three times. And after having done that, he didn't have to spank me again. All he had to do is say, don't make me count to three, Billy. And being a kid, inherently evil, filled with all kinds of mischief, when dad tells you to do something and you don't do it and he says don't make me count to three it is human nature especially for children to go to two that's what i did every time don't make me count to three one and i'm judging the interval right two got about three seconds left and then I'll stop because I know what happens when he gets to three and so and it's like it comes back to the gun argument it's a deterrence once you know that this consequence will bring you pain then you don't have to then you don't have to bring the pain you just have to make somebody aware of the fact that if this happens if a then b b is unpleasant so don't do b you don't have to punish them all the time you can just make it clear that you will if they don't stop and so they'll stop that's how it works and Every family I've ever seen that was the happiest families, the happiest kids I've ever seen, were the families that when when company was visiting would refer to their father as sir. Right? You can call him dad, obviously, when, when but but if company was over, uh, Billy, did you uh, did you do that? Yes, sir. 
That's just respect, right? And, and when you respect people, you don't murder them. And that's how we get into the trouble that we've gotten into. Uh, Phil says that's uh, so, always so good to see you, Phil. That's how dog shot collars uh, work with the yellow flags, right? Those, um, those uh, electronic fields that keep a dog, allow your dog to roam outside, but you don't want to put up a fence. So what you do is you, you put this dog collar on, you put these sensors out there, and you put a flag where the sensors are, and you just leave the dog alone. Every time that dog crosses that line between these flags, he gets a shock. He gets a shock coming in, too. Pretty soon, when he's on the inside, he realizes, I don't need to go any further than this, because if I do, I'm going to get shocked. After that, you can take the collar off. So they trained elephants, by the way. My mom told me this when I was very little. My mom was remarkable. She grew up in Egypt and Lebanon and the Middle East, all this stuff. Steve Wop says, positive reinforcement is better. Absolutely right. Yes, absolutely it is. But positive reinforcement doesn't always work. So my mom uh, had all kinds of stories about all kinds of things. And she had spent some time in India because her father, my grandfather, was in the Royal Navy. Uh, and she saw in India, she talked to people. There's a word for them. Mahud, I think, maybe? Elephant? trainers so he she watched how they trained elephants here's how they do it they take this incredibly powerful creature and they chain its left leg to a stake or a tree right they chain they chain it the elephant starts walking mahouts and as he gets to a certain limit he feels the pressure on his leg. He pulls as hard as he can, and nothing happens. He's stuck there, right? He makes the connection that if I start to feel this pull on my leg, there's no way to beat it. I've tried. He spends, he's constantly trying to break the chain. It's a chain. He can't break it. The point is that once you've done that, you can put a small string around the, the, the ankle of an elephant, and the elephant will run to the limit of the string because... It knows that it, once that resistance is there, it, it knows it's time to, to stop. So, so it's, it's conditioning. It's just real simple. It, it's Pavlov's dog, right? It's, it's conditioning is the simplest form of behavior modification that there is. And sometimes that's what you have to do with little stupid animals like children. And I know, I've never really understood why people were so far against it, you know. By, by half an hour... It not only doesn't hurt anymore, there's no sign of it. This is why spanking is a skill like anything else, like driving a car. Used to teach parents, used to teach their children, dads used to teach their sons how to do this, mostly through administering it, right? But basically, it's very simple. I want to cause enough pain to get this kid's attention, and I want that to be, I want that to be, I want to come in at the minimum amount of pain that I have to inflict to get his attention. And the pain is transitory, and it goes away. And by the way, I hadn't really thought about this before, although, I mean, I have, but not in this context. By the way, letting kids experience a little transitory, low-grade pain is actually good for them. And anybody who says, no, no, I don't want my, my child to ever feel any pain, well, here's the thing, guys. You're going to feel some pain in the course of your life. Things are going to hurt. And the more you protect people from um, 
the more you protect people from from that, the less capable they are of dealing with it. Uh, Blake Jamison says, hey, can you have a conversation with me about this? I think we talked about this last week, Blake. Uh, I just don't do Collins. Um, and uh, I know you should get a lot to add here. That's great. And and I would love to entertain it. Uh, but it's just, it's just, I'm just not set up for that. I don't have a phone here. And it's just, that's not the show. Um, so, yeah, it was, fun. it was funny. I was thinking about this a couple days ago. I was probably thinking about it when I was reading about the latest, you know, torture adventures that were going on in the basement of the Lubyanka and what they were doing to people. And I started thinking about pain and I thought, okay, um, okay, that's a fair question. Blake says, what do children and good households have in common other than spankings, according to some? Men are more capable of dealing with this than women, but it affects men too. Dad, if dad loves his kids, spanking his kids is hard on him, right? He doesn't want to cause them pain. He doesn't want to see them cry. And he certainly doesn't want to see them going into the room, turn around and say, I hate you. But a father who's willing to do that is a father who, who has the sense to see that this, this short-term pain now is going to save my boy or girl an awful, awful lot of long-term pain. It may save their life, in fact, right, if we're talking about crossing the road. So he has the strength and the confidence that he can do this, and it won't break up the family, and mom won't go running off. He's not going to beat the child. The child's going to be fine in half an hour or less. And he, and he, parents today don't have the courage to spank their children. They're afraid to do it. And I see more and more of these out-of-control kids, and every time I see, yeah, go Gators is right, baby. Every time I see these out-of-control kids, I see parents who are afraid of their children. They're genuinely afraid of them. And so when they start having temper tantrums, they'll say, stop doing that. I'm serious. I mean it. I'm, I'm telling you for the last time, and nothing happens. And then they switch tactics and start bargaining. If you stop it, I'll buy you a toy, which is why the kid's having the temper tantrum in the first place. You can break this uh, nasty, childish habit, but you have to make it hurt, Right? Instead of rewarding it, you got to make it hurt. So, so a father who's willing to do that has to love his kids enough to do it. He has to care enough to do it. And I think that's really it. And Blake says, because men can stay in the moment. Yes, this is, why the, this is why the traditional family roles work. Mom shouldn't have to spank the kids. Mom shouldn't have to really discipline the kids at all. You know how mom disciplines the kids? This is how it works. When you do something wrong, the way mom disciplines you is very simple. She says, wait till your father gets home. That's all. She doesn't have to spank you, doesn't have to send you to your room. She just has to say, the disciplined guy is not going to be pleased about this. And you get to spend the next three hours thinking about what's going to happen when dad gets home, right? Is he going to count to three? Am I going to do this? How big of a, of a and you learn right, right from wrong. And this is why children grow up healthy. They have somebody who's willing to, who has the strength to cause them a little pain to correct their behaviors so that they don't end up shooting people in a theater. And at the same time, you have a mom who pretty much immediately after the punishment can go in there 
and not undo the punishment. She's not going to undercut dad. She's going to go in there and say, all right, you know, Bill, I did all this. And, you know, just, hey, well, you know, you, you, he, dad, your dad told you. He told you again and again. But he told look, look, Bill, you know. And so you get the comfort and you get the strength. And men are much more capable of doing that hard, nasty stuff of hurting their kids. And when I say some, I see so many kids who are out of control and that their parents are afraid of them, it starts off by not wanting to hurt them. It starts off by people having kids and saying, I could never cause my child to cry. I could never strike my child and cause it pain, spank my child rather, because I can't bear to see my kid cry. Okay, well, you're not going to have a reasoned debate with a three-year-old. And if you don't put boundaries on the three-year-old, the three-year-old may not grow up to shoot up a school, but that person will grow up to be constantly testing the limits of everything. Not going to be a happy kid. They want limits. Children need limits. They need to know. This like like Phil said with the, with the flags, right? They need to know where that boundary is. Here's the line. And if you cross that line, bad things are going to happen to you. They need this. That's why they act up, by the way. Children act up because they want to find out where the line is. That's why they do it. They want to know where the line is. That's why they're constantly pushing. This is how we grow, right? This is how you grow up. You, you have a natural inclination to find out where the borders are. That's good. So otherwise you just stay in a little shell in the corner. So you're constantly trying to find out where the limits are, right? And if this is done correctly, it's not rocket science. If it's done correctly, then what will happen is, here are your limits when you're three. Here are your limits when you're five. Here are your limits when you're seven. And here are your limits when you're 14. If you step over those limits, then we're coming back again until you play, until you get it right. And when you get it right, we can graduate you again. And it's constantly being calibrated and again you only have to do this once or twice once you do it once or twice they respect you i heard a story i loved it loved it um it was about this very subject i heard it secondhand so forgive me for not getting all the details somebody was asked about this guy i think was a a, a radio uh preacher and they were asking him how, how his kids turned out so well or something something along those lines, right? How do you do it? And the father said, I'll tell you how I did it. I cut a two foot by two foot, two foot square piece of carpet, just regular carpet. And I put it down, not in the center of the house, somewhere out of the way. And I said to my kids, you are not allowed to stand on that carpet. Do you understand? You're not allowed to stand on the carpet. And the kids would always say, why not? Said, because I told you so. Why not? Because I said so. And kids being kids, they'll put a little toe on the carpet, you know, and then they'll brush against the carpet, and then they'll put a little foot on the carpet. They're waiting for the, waiting for the boundary. They're going to wait for the boundary. And then when the boundary comes, little spankings administered and so on. And what he was doing is he was saying to these children, I'm not going to debate with you about this. We're not equal partners in the wisdom of life. I'm 33 and you're three. 
I know more about this than you do, and we're not going to do what I see so much of today, which is we're not going to get into a discussion with, with children. We are going to set a rule. And what he was doing, see, he was, I thought this is why I thought it was so brilliant. He, he intentionally created something irresistible because it did not make any sense at all. That's why it worked. That's why he did it. There was no sense to it at all. None. That's why it worked. So they would say, well, that doesn't make any sense. And, they'd, and then finally, at age 18 or 16 or whatever, he would say, well, son, you are now officially a man. You can step on that carpet all you want to. It's all yours. And so on. That's it. Uh, Marusha says he's entrapping his children. It's sadistic. Well, I don't know if you're talking about uh, this example, uh, but those kids were awful happy. And I see a lot of people who never get uh, discipline, and they're not little Leonardos, you know? They're very unhappy people as a general rule. Uh, it's pretty much the way I see it. And, of course, Blake says it is. Are we talking about the spanking? How it stiffened worked out so well without spanking even once. He regards it as a moral evil, and so do I. You're welcome to your opinion. I'm just telling you what worked for me, and I'm telling you what I see when I, when I run into people who don't do it. So that's great. I don't actually see what people are so upset about. That's the thing. It's not like dad is coming over and cutting off an ear. This is the thing, right? It's like, oh, you're terrorized by your father. No, you're not. You're not terrorized by your father. It's sadistic. It's not sadistic. He's, he's, he's torturing his children. No. He's not cutting your ear off. He's making you realize there are consequences for your actions. <laughs> Steve Whoop says I had an ear necklace. I don't want to hear it. Not in, not in public. I'd love to hear it in private, actually. Um, so anyway, uh, Jose Jacob, Jacobo, sorry, said, when's the new series of the Cold War? The Cold War series was pushed back, I, I don't want to say indefinitely, but it was, uh, but it was, um, My God, it's so amazing to me how people can insert so much junk DNA into an argument. Bill, discipline is not necessary if your child gets told and understands why for anything. If the only thing that you have time for with your child is discipline, you are on the wrong road. So because I spent the whole last half hour talking about discipline, therefore... All I want to do is spank my children. That's all I do. I come home to spank them. That's my entire job. I don't know how you get to there, right? I don't. In any event, um, the Cold War was pushed back three or four weeks because the marketing wasn't in place. So um, I expect to see it in two or three weeks. That's the Cold War finished. And uh, I think a two-episode opening, two-hour opening, episodes one and two, and then one episode 
every week until they're done for a total of 13. So 12 weeks. And as soon as I know, I will let you know. Um, I will see. I'm going to have to ask them. Um, I just have to answer this. Bill, aren't conservatives about prevention rather than the cure? Spanking is the prevention. It is causing a small amount of temporary pain to keep you out of a long period of permanent serious pain. That's the prevention. I'm done with this topic. Um, I am going to try to show uh, whatever photos they'll let me release um, during the shoot so you can all see that go. Never got to, to GK Masters in question. Any thoughts on Ohio? Um, I did not... Uh, I, I just didn't get a whole lot on that story. I heard it echoing off the wall three or four times. Uh, this is what we started talking about the show about. Uh, that um, that sense of if if something happens while the Democrats are doing it, then it's got to be automatically bad. Uh, I... Uh, I don't want to put this. The most, I'm not saying, I almost said the most likely case. The simplest case is that this was a simple mechanical function, malfunction, and these things happen. That's a derailment. When I heard that the, that the local officials had agreed to get rid of the toxic chemicals by setting them on fire, I just couldn't believe that's actually true. Couldn't believe it. We're going to do what? Yeah, there's toxic chemicals all over the place. So what are you going to do to get rid of them? We're going to burn it. Oh, you're going to aerosol it. You're going to spread it not over a football field. You're going to spread it over the size of half a state, right? So the response to it was appalling. Now, the question, of course, is, is there more there than meets the eye? Is there, is there some kind of, um, is it part of some kind of, you know, master plan? I don't know what it is about East Palestine that would be so important. But... I think the most likely case is that this was a malfunction which was horrifically bundled and it's the cleanup that worries me. Not so much the malfunction. It's not like I think I, it could have been, but I don't think anybody derailed the train. I think the train derailed where it derailed. But the incompetence and or maliciousness of the response of the cleanup is simply shocking. I mean, shocking. We're going to burn this and turn it into smoke. What? What? Oh, yeah. So the city politicians agreed with this. And then the next day, people start reporting they can't breathe, that their skin's burning. And then the politicians who approved it yesterday said, well, when we said we approved it, we didn't mean they should do it. You know, we're going to start walking this thing back. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what to do about, about that kind of incompetence. Mm. 
so far, so far, I haven't been following the story and it's still relatively early. Roy says that 70 to 80% Trump voters, okay, but that's any town in a red state, right? I don't know what that really makes sense. Maybe that's since, I don't know. I think this was a case of incompetence. That's what I think is the most likely case. But look, I am not, uh, <laughs> Steve Whoop says, all my pennies derail it. See, that's what you get for selling souvenirs, man. Um, I am not the, the person I used to be in terms of, well, the simplest explanations, clearly just plain incompetence. Not after what I've seen the last couple of years. Um, I saw a picture earlier today of the January 6th event, and there's a bunch of people crawling over barricades, and there's an arrow saying, federal agent, federal agent, federal agent. That's not, that's not something I imagined. That was real. The Whitmer kidnapping was real. Ruby Ridge was real. This stuff is real. I didn't see that before. I, it really had to come out in the broad daylight for me. And that, for me, the broad daylight was 2022. And then the, the, the reaction to COVID, the nonsensical reaction to COVID, which is still going on, by the way. Um, they're, they're insisting that people who have natural immunity, which is the standard against which vaccines are measured, still have to get the shot. This reminds me of something Trey Gowdy said once when he was um, when he was going after some government official. This would be before Trump, I think, last year or two of um, Obama. And Trey Gowdy was talking about he was a former prosecutor. He was I, I was watching him on C-SPAN. I worship the guy. If he got a decent haircut, he'd be an excellent president. Um, I can help him with that, by the way. But he was basically saying, he's saying, look, as a prosecutor, now listen carefully, this is really important. I think it's a real important lesson in life. Trey Gowdy said, as a prosecutor, I would rather have evidence of cover-up than a signed confession. That's what he said. And I thought, how does that make sense? So he proceeded to tell me. So if I got a confession... They could later deny it. They could later say, I didn't know this, I didn't know that. But if, or I wasn't aware, or it was an accident, they can all these kind of defenses. But Trey, but Trey said, if I, on the other hand, if I can show that you are covering up a crime, that means not only you did it, but also that you knew you did it, and that's why you're covering it up. Now I not only have the culpability, I've also got the intent, I've got the maliciousness. If, if you, you don't get to say, though, I didn't know it was wrong argument or I don't know it was so serious argument. That's why you covered it up. That's a really brilliant kind of thing to say, right? And, and so when you, when you see things like um, this level of incompetence, like the thing with Ohio, you start asking yourself, um, you know, what possible explanation could there be for such an insane reaction in terms of, yeah, let's light it on fire? What, what could have possibly done that? And, and I don't like the answers to those questions. 
I don't um, I don't like it at all. And I'm, I'm down to the point where prior to COVID, I believed in, I hated the IRS and I thought the EPA had done an amazing job in the 70s, 60s and 70s, and then it should have ended once it got everything cleaned up. Not fond, fond of today's uh, uh, EPA and all these other agencies, Department of Education, ever since we put the Department of Education in place, education has fallen to pieces. So anyway, there were a lot of government agencies I didn't like, but I believed in the FBI, I believed in the CIA. I believed that the NSA was protecting us from foreign uh, terrorists. And I'm sad to say, I really believed in the CDC. I had a great deal of confidence in the CDC. I was proud of the CDC. I was proud of the CDC when the Ebola thing happened. It was at 2008 or nine, something like that. Um, I was proud of the fact that I had a country that, that would send scientists into the middle of a jungle to find out what's going on before this thing gets you know really bad. I was, thought they were great. And then I saw the CDC with COVID, which is just the, like Pravda, right? It's the propaganda arm of the, of the administration. Uh, 2014, thanks. I was, you know, I just gobsmacked. But there it is. There's no denying it. There's no denying it. And um, now, I think the only government agency that I still respect is the NTSB, National Transportation Safety Board. That's not the Department of Transportation, by the way. It's certainly not the Department of Homeland Security. And it's not the TSA. Uh, the NTSC, NTSB rather, is shockingly competent because competence is the primary requirement of their job. The, the reason we have an NTSB, National T Transportation Safety Board, the reason that we have these guys with bags packed ready to go, they're constantly ready to go because if there's a plane crash that kills 200 people, we can learn something from that. If we can figure out why this thing happened, then we can either put training procedures in place or mechanical things in place. If we can figure out what happened, we can take action to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I thought that was noble. And I still think it's noble. Hey, a super chat from Eric uh, Guess. Guess, sorry, Eric. Uh, if they don't burn it, it becomes a super fun site on a main rail line, which means a billion dollar environmental disaster. Burning it means you can open the rail line and and apologize a lot. Okay, thank you for that. I hadn't realized that. Uh, which brings me to another cleanup issue, and I'm and I'm sorry, I'm not even get through the bill little things. I'm just just losing my voice here, and I'm going to need it shortly. But this brings me to radiation, right? First, I have to answer this. Alex DeLay says, is it being a pilot that makes you competent or is it the pilots are selected for competence? Both. My experience with flight instruction and training is that it attracts people that understand the importance of competence in not getting killed, but it also 
really provides you with a, a, a very, very strong positive reinforcement towards safety. And that, and that professionalism is uh, contagious. I've said many times, I think my favorite part about flying was the radio work. I just like talking to people that knew what they were doing, took it seriously. I just thought it was the best thing ever. Polite, careful, competent, serious people. That sense of humor occasionally. But um, yeah, I, I thought they reinforced each other. Um, I'm going to do uh, one more, I think. And I apologize because I made a promise, but I just sometimes I, I intend to live up to it, but I just can't. Um, Oh, I'm sorry, radiation. Um, so there have been three incidents with nuclear reactors around the world that have caused people to completely abandon the entire idea of uh, nuclear power. Uh, one was Three Mile Island in the United States. One was Chernobyl in Ukraine. And the other one was, the third one was uh, Fukushima in Japan. The Three Mile Island incident was an example where the fail-safe technology actually worked to a large extent, right? And that that was a that could have been nothing could have been on the scale of Chernobyl, but what Three Mile Island had and what Chernobyl didn't have was a containment structure. We're going to have this nuclear waste, this nuclear uh, material here. Yeah. Well, let's put it in a big, fat, thick, honking concrete structure, and then let's fly a jet into it at, at incredible speeds on a test bed to see if the, if, if, if the worst-case scenario would cause this thing to crack. It didn't. So that containment structure worked pretty well. In Chernobyl, they didn't have a containment structure. The reactor design was much more dangerous, but but that reactor was actually functioning fine. The reason that reactor blew up was because a political guy wanted to make political points with his boss. He wanted to get further ahead in the Communist Party, so he ran the reactor at, at energy levels far, far below what the minimum, the minimum uh, uh, line was, right? They purposely, not they, one guy ordered other people, because it was communism, because it was that kind of society, that Russian kind of society, he ordered them to do it. They didn't want to do it. They said it's dangerous. They did it anyway, because if they hadn't, then they would have lost their jobs and they would have lost their, their homes and they would have lost their health care and they wouldn't have been able to get food and all the rest of the stuff that comes with this other authoritarian kind of society. So they did it. So they violated their own safety laws in a, contain, in a, in a reactor that didn't have a containment structure. That we have, we use fire for energy, right? In the house. But when we use fire in the house, we put the fire in a containment structure, which is called a chimney and a fireplace. It's made out of brick and it can't burn. That's why we built the chimney, is to contain the fire. Chernobyl was like lighting a, lighting a, a, a fire in the middle of your room and then being amazed that the place caught fire, right? It, it just didn't have it. My point is, is that it blew up because people forced it to. And here's the thing that got me thinking about it. Here's Fukushima. Fukushima, this is what I like about new reactors because these new reactor like thorium designs, they, the laws of physics shut them down. Fukushima 
was designed to withstand uh, a very heavy earthquake, a 9.0, and that's what they got. And they knew that with that kind of shaking, it's going to affect pipes coming in and out of this thing. So the Fukushima design was such that if they lose power or the water lines, there were backup diesel generators. And these diesel generators would supply the cooling water until they could get the, the main lines back on online. What they had not considered was that along with the earthquake would come a tsunami, which is actually kind of shocking prepared, considering how prepared Japan is for this, right? So everything worked except that the diesel generators were underwater when they needed them. Now, here's the point I'm about to get to. found out after the fact that this radiation leak would not have occurred if they had not tried to save the reactor, right? They let it go to the point where it, where it ruptured because they were trying to save the reactor. If they, had they could have just shut it down, and that would have been it, but it was shut down forever in that case, and it's ruined, and you, you lose your investment, and so on. So, yeah, super fun site and so on. Anyway, um, I'll take this one. Then I'm done, I think. Chris Taylor has a question about kids these days uh, and the Internet, which I'm tempted. I'll take them both just because we were talking about kids earlier. Do you have any hints for finding out what kids these days are watching and doing online? The internet algorithms just seem to want to feed more of what I just saw, which is surely not what most kids are going to be fed or searching for. Do you have a system or tips to keep yourself from just going down little specific rabbit holes? I have had a serious problem lately, and I mean it. I would come home. I don't know if it's an addiction yet because I haven't made an effort to stop it but I would come home from these last two three week months of writing and I'd realize I was going to get six hours of sleep and just before I'd go to bed I'd, I'd crank up YouTube on my phone and I'd watch the shorts and the one short that I just watched led me to another short that I wanted to watch and within the space of four or five things if you, if you want to get rid of something on, on shorts you just immediately get rid of it and you won't see it anymore and it has gotten to the point where these things are they're like they're like you know what they're like they're like those little mini marshmallows you know the little little bitty ones you put on top of a cup of hot chocolate you just pop these things into your mouth one by one you think okay no problem what's another 30 seconds isn't going to going to hurt anything it's just another 30 seconds and i'm not exaggerating now i would find myself i've spent three and a half hours that i desperately need for sleep or work watching these damn things because they're showing me exactly precisely what I want to see based on what I've selected. And so the only answer to that is to find a way to turn it off. My wife has the same problem too. We both, we're both night owls. We both left to our own devices. We both want to be awake till three in the morning. That's just how we're wired. And so I'll realize it's bedtime, midnight, or even like one o'clock. It's like, we talked about it at 11.30. Honey, we, we need to shut these things off and get to bed. And I'll be sitting there playing around or working on something in the computer. And I'll realize it's it's time to go. And Natasha hasn't said anything. So I'll just keep I'll just keep doing this until she says something. She's thinking the exact same thing, right? 
Next thing you know, it's 3.30 in the morning. And so I said, honestly, honey, I think we're both, with, you know, we're both working and we're both, you know, doing, she's painting and I'm working on CG stuff. And we like doing these things and we want to stay up late. And, and so I was saying, you know, honey, we really need to think about something like a mechanical kill switch that goes beep and five minutes later shuts the power down, period. That's it. Because we can't control the, I'll tell you what it's precisely like. It's precisely like I have a particular affinity for these little um, Reese's peanut butter cups. I love them. I love them. Thank you, Craigie. Thank you for that super chat. I love them. And when Natasha buys them, I'll eat them. I won't eat all of them at once, but I will eat all of them. And so the only answer to that is to be able to walk past it in the supermarket, right? That's it. If, if you can walk past it once, then it's not a problem anymore. All you have to do is walk past it once. There it is. I want it. No, if I, if I get it, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to put on weight. I need to lose weight, so I'm not going to buy it. Um, and uh, and so the boom off he goes. An interesting suggestion, Blake. Thank you. I'll I'll, I'll put together an action plan for that. Uh, weren't we just yelling at each other last week or something? People are amazing and, and generally really cool. Um, so I so I just don't tempt tempt myself. And I'm and I'm th oh, the, so I'm thinking. This is kind of where I am. This is so. Uh, alluring and and I think actually that the mechanical you know kill switch kind of thing is it was certainly it's a form of weakness and so the answer is really to simply say all right man you you know this is a problem you're doing it and what are you going to do about your problem because it's gotten that serious it really has and i'm a i'm a full-grown man i'll be 64 in a month or so and if it's if it's that addictive to me and i climbed trees when i was a kid then i cannot imagine how any young people could possibly resist any of this stuff Marisha says if it makes you feel better. It's so good to have you back, Marisha. If it makes if it makes you feel better, these people spend billions of dollars making it addictive. Yes, this is evil. You know what this is like? Tech companies giving you exactly what you want to see to keep you online. By the way, my brother Evan uh, discovered this. He said if he, he later found out this was the case. He said, "I find that when I was on Facebook." It wasn't the, the posts that I liked that kept me there. It was the ones that I didn't like. They kept feeding, feeding me things that made me angry, and I stayed there because I, because I was in fighting mode. Um, so when you feed people something with the intent of addicting them, when you're feeding them something that you, that, that you know is going to be hard for them to put down, on one level, that's business. I get it. You, you know, you should, nobody's stopping the sale of their own tennis shoes because somebody's bought a whole bunch of them. However... It does remind me of 
what the food industry has done with um, with this high fructose corn syrup. I knew it was in Coca Cola, and I, you know, and I ate my share of uh, frosted uh, flakes, and and back before they were called what were they called? Um, sugar pops? What were those fantastic puff rice thing covered with like a honey kind of thing? Super sugar pups or something, and then they changed the name of it to like you know, bear pups or something. Uh, anyway, I love that stuff. So I, 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 I I'm a sugar fueled um, machine, and so I don't mind when I have. Thank you, Blank Frankie. That's very nice. I don't mind them putting sugar in Count Chocula because I know what I'm getting when I buy Count Chocula. But when they put high fructose corn syrup in steak and chicken and everything else, because it makes the food taste better, now that's the source of 1,000 calories a day. It's what makes people fat in this country. It's the stuff that they add. I talked about this before, but if you, because I was looking at, um, last week I was looking at um, Taxi and The Odd Couple. And on the odd couple, Felix, you'd expect Felix Unger to be, you know, relatively trim. He is in gymnast condition. And Oscar Madison, who I remember being a fat slob, is in absolutely flat stomach condition, right? Everybody was thin back then. And what was it? What was it different? I keep thinking, well, was it diet? Were they? No, they were eating freaking hot dogs. and They were eating barbecue ribs. and They were eating all this stuff, drinking beer. And they it's absolutely true they were doing more physical exercise, but they weren't pushing all of this sugar into our foods. And when I was uh, down with the um, unknown virus of unspecified origin, uh, I didn't eat for 11 days because I didn't want to eat for 11 days. I lost 16 pounds, and I was grateful for that, actually. I kind of think I should make that kind of a semi-annual kind of thing. Uh, however, I didn't eat anything for 11 days. And when I finished... I could not believe how much, how sweet everything tasted. Everything. I had I had been drinking cranberry juice, cran. It's not really cranberry juice. It's a, you know, it's a cran grape cocktail, right? I love this stuff. I was knocking it down. I, you know, then I then I had a sip of it after I'd had the COVID thing, and I couldn't drink it. It was just like. And, and by the way, when Natasha got to America, she was exactly the same way. She was like. How can you drink this? How, oh my God! There's so much sugar in here. Now she just, she's just hooked on it like everybody else. So, um, and she came out and says, "I kind of wish they'd put the cocaine back in Coca-Cola." You know, if they did, uh, if they did, Coca-Cola would disappear off the market overnight because people would be buying crates of Coca-Cola, pallets of Coca-Cola, and figuring out a way to, you know, distill it. Um. And people talk about the genetically modified foodstuffs and all the rest of it. Yeah, bread is full of sugar. You can't sell American bread in Europe. I'm not a fan, generally speaking, of the Europeans and their and their weenie ways. However, they were saying that the definition of bread is this, and 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 to have three times the amount of top level of, of sugar in it is not bread. It's a bread-like sugar delivery mechanism, and. You can really get hooked on this stuff. I thought it was like a kind of a physical addiction, but what I've been, what I've learned since then is, uh, 
I will check Facebook. Um, what I found out is, is that they put it in there because it makes the food taste better. And so what do we do? Do we say the companies can't do that? Maybe, you know, maybe. They, oh, and by the way, I'll tell you one law that I was in favor of, although I, I, I'm knee-flex, knee-jerk reaction is to be against regulations, that kind of thing. However, when they started putting the calories on every container of food, I thought that's reasonable. I should have some idea, especially since they're putting all this stuff into it. I should have some idea of what this is going to come to. Since you're pumping all the sugar into it, I want to know how many calories it is. Great. Everything's fantastic. But there is nothing that annoys me more than anything in the world. The only thing drives me out of my mind. I know every single person in the world feels the same way. You buy something and it says 200 calories per serving, like a, like a bag of potato chips, right? Only 300 calories per serving. Number of servings, four. So if you eat three chips, right, you get 300 calories. I really mean this. Every food that's packaged, the, the number of calories should be the total that's in the box. Because uh, uh, um, Brian Regan does a hilarious routine about, about eating Oreo cookies and, and, or, or Fig Newtons. He says he goes through them like a wood chipper, you know. And uh, I'm like, God, oh, he ate three. He ate three of these things. That's how people work. I want to know. I want to know what's in the box. I don't want to do the freaking math because you're lying to me. There are not four servings in this little bag of potato chips. There's one serving in this little bag of potato chips. You're doing this to put the lowest number you can on the bag. And it's just plain, if it's not fraud, it's certainly deception. Right? So stop doing that. Man up, companies. You're going to give me 2,000 calories in a, in a box of, um, you know, food, then um, I want to know, I want to know, so I can make an informed decision. I've still got a show to edit, and that is going to be a tough night for Bill. All right, I'm just going to check the Facebook thing, because I said I would, I'll see what I can find here, it said it would cheer me up. I eat Fig Newton by the sleeve, that's exactly right, it's not a Fig Newton, it's how many sleeves I'm going to have. Uh, yeah, Brian Regan's brilliant. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, I am about out of steam here, but uh, I was oh, 17 comments. Good Lord, that's a lot of comments. Wow. Um, boy, these, I have to say, these... I have to... I have to, I, I, I don't mean to, I'm not going to mention a name. I just need to know this. Hang on. I need to know the answer to this. Because I think this is a record breaker. I think this is, uh, I think this is going into the Guinness book. There's a question on Facebook that is, Eight hundred and eighty words long. That's that's a lot of that's a lot of question there. Um, 
been attributed to so many people, including Mark Twain and anything that could be attributed to Mark Twain, I'm going to go with Mark Twain. Um, but that famous saying, you know, uh, if I'd had more time, I would have written less. It's 100% true. Um, all right, did I did I see what I was supposed to see here? Uh, people said there's some very nice comments there. There always are. There it is. Uh, oh. Eric says, uh, Rush Limbaugh used to deal with this a lot. People would say, Rush, I've been a fan of yours your whole life, but now I'm leaving you because I disagree with this. And a lot of it, he says, was trolling. They never, they were never fans. They were just basically trying to get some, um, some, you know, cred. Uh, and a question about the World Economic Forum. Another fine offer from Dave Olson. Thank you so kind. Everything, everybody's here so kind. Lori Lightfoot being out, that's a nice sign. I wonder if uh, they will... Re oh, God. There's a frame grab of me from Steve Young with a... <laughs> yeah, this is worth, this is worth sharing. Uh, although I am somewhat embarrassed that... Uh, that such a facial expression could have appeared to me in the course of a stratosphere lounge, but this is what was posted. He's saying the Gorn attack incoming. I'm keeping that. That's actually, it's actually really pretty cool. Uh, okay. All right. I, I need to, I need to, uh, I need to go. I'm sorry. Uh, now I will not be here all of next week. So, um, no Monday show and no Thursday show. But when I come back, uh, I will be able to start doing all the things I've been wanting to do for the last four months. Um, hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. All right. I think I'm done. Uh, you bastards got your two and a half hours of blood and flesh for me, you blood-sucking parasites. Uh, this show's made possible by blood-sucking parasites like you, uh, the members of BillWiddle.com, um, who, uh, every month need to put their $10 in, and it keeps this show going and the rest of the show's going. And when you see the Civil War, sorry, the Cold War coming up and then probably three or four months from now maybe whatever we end up calling this Empire of Terror thing um, if you're a member when you watch that I, I just want you to fully realize that I would not be able to do those series without without your um, patience so uh you you own a part of that for what it's worth. I think they're I think they're very very good. And uh, if anybody wants to join at BillWhittle.com, you can go and become a member now. We could use your help right now. But in a week, less than a week, no, a little over a week, I'll be done 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 done. And I'm looking forward to that.
All right, kids. Well, it's been fun chatting with you. It's been real, and it's been fun, but it hasn't been real fun. Remember those? Uh, Air Techie, may the uh, emperor protect you. Yes, the emperor protects Air Techie. And cheers. Thank you from Chris O'Neill for that super chat and all the thumbs up and all the love and all the patience and all the rest of it. It just makes me happy. And by the way, uh, I remember this from last week, and I'll just close with this. It makes me especially happy that I think a couple people that I was arguing with very aggressively last week were just arguing about different things now. Isn't that grand? That's how societies, free societies, are supposed to work. Um, already, I'm gonna I'm gonna boogie on out of here, uh, and by boogie on out of here, I mean stay here. Uh, but um, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go ahead now, and I'm gonna push the button, Frank.